Hi, I'm Sophia. And I'm Jen. And you're listening to Every Rom-Com, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedies seriously. This week on Every Rom-Com, we're revisiting Gen X icons Winona Ryder and Ethan Hawke. We'll discuss the early days of reality TV, the struggle to figure out your life after college, and one of the best movie soundtracks ever assembled. And we'll talk about how a screenplay written by a 20-year-old was turned into what might be the definitive Gen X rom-com as we discuss the 1994 cult classic, Reality Bites. Sophia. Hello, Jen. How are you? I'm doing great. I mean, I'm doing great because it's spring. Right. So I, even though it's a little cloudier today and there might be snow again next week, when, when spring uh, comes to the Midwest, even in fits and starts, it, it is a wonderful thing. I agree. Agree. Like, oh, it's, it's just that warmth, some sun, not having to wear that big, heavy coat. I hate the yes. coat. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I'm going to be getting out my spring clothes later on today, too. I do the Project 333 from Courtney Carver, where you do like a minimalist fashion you know, thing. Uh-huh. And so you try to wear 33 items for three months. I don't think I've ever officially gotten to 33, but I've gotten really close. Wow. And I just like, you know changing out the clothes and putting the rest of them away and not having to look at them for a while. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of exciting. It's almost like going shopping, but it doesn't cost money. So <laughs> yeah, I'm going to unbox all my old clothes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Put away the winter stuff, the switcheroo, the seasonal switch. I like that yeah. too. What about for the spring? Anything planned for the spring? Okay, very exciting news. And I'm so glad my daughter is on board with this. She has joined Girls on the Run, and I'm going to be a coach. And I'm so excited. Um, it's, it's a nationwide organization, Girls on the Run, and it's for girls third grade through fifth grade. And it's just getting them running. And I never would have done it in third grade. And I still love the fact that like I was a slow, kind of pudgy kid. <laughs> picked last and all the you know team lineups in grade school and look at me now I'm a coach (laughs) that's awesome yeah yeah I'm pumped I'm pumped I love love the message you can do it when are you gonna start that training golly uh after my daughter's spring break mid-april cool and then at the end they run a 5k which is great awesome that's really awesome Mm -hmm. Sophia I'm glad to hear about that thank you really pumped So we don't have like a natural transition for this, but um, today we're going to be talking about a movie about uh, 20-somethings written by a 20-something. And a lot of the characters are recent college graduates. And I just wanted to talk to you about like your post-college experience. Like in the movie, they're all kind of struggling to find kind of meaningful work, Mm -hmm. figure out their relationships, like with their families, with each other. What was your post-college experience like? And does it feel similar at all to the experiences in Reality Bites? Uh, n- no, not really. Um, it doesn't feel like it. 
I think, I mean, in terms of like trying to find work, we were theater majors. So it was a different kind <laughs> of trying to find work. It was like, well, are we going to go to try to audition places now? Or it, like we needed to find some kind of a job with this degree that just, yeah, woohoo. Um, so, and a couple of friends were teachers as well, and they got teaching jobs right away. And that was great. But I remember this specifically being at one of my dear college friends' house and, um, you know, talking about something about with her mother. I was like, you know, I'm just I'm transitioning right now. I'm just trying to figure it out. She's like, what do you kids talk about this transitioning? We didn't do that. Like there was they like graduated and maybe got married and maybe got a job and just went on with life, you know? And we were all like, ah, what are we doing? And kind of moving yeah. back at home and taking the job of some sort that was really like kind of futureless or something. So that was it. How about yeah, you? What? Yeah. Like what, what you said was interesting to me because I think like there were the baby boomers, there was this sense of like, um, mm -hmm there was just a set path. You weren't right. overthinking it too much. You were just like, well, I'm just going to do the thing that I do. Like, of right. course I'm going to get this, you know, nine to five job and I'm going to mm -hmm. try to make money and get a house and mm -hmm. I'm going to get married. And like, you know, this is just how we do it. Right. Yep. And then in our generation, there was this like, make your own course kind of feeling like you can yes. be whatever you want. Like, right. um, but that at the same time, that brings up like so many endless possibilities. And I really, I think, fell victim to that a little bit. For my sure. my college, my post college experience, like I didn't graduate from my first college mm -hmm. because I had dropped out um, due to depression, and yep. the depression was like partly pre existing and partly caused by my mother's death yeah. while I was at college, and so. I spent a few years, yeah, just taking like little kinds of jobs and like mm -hmm. trying to figure out my life. And right, like, right. then eventually I moved to the West Coast with, and moving to the West Coast, I think was a very late Gen X kind of thing to do too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, eventually found myself back in college again. But I feel like my whole life, I've sort of been still trying to find what is that perfect, meaningful job. I'm not even sure if I've really left the place where they are in Reality Bites. It's just kind of starting <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> I'm laughing because true i'm with you as well so right i did about a year after college just kind of i oh i went to brazil for a little bit and and then i was home and blah 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 and then i moved to new york and so and spent 13 years there and lived but what did i do i i got to work at the drama bookshop which was so much fun but paid nothing <laughs> um and then i was an administrative assistant for about 10 of my 13 years in two different places and my god that was not what I wanted to do with my life. And then I did stuff on the side that was, you know, fulfilling and what have you. Um, but right, here I am now with a home, a daughter, a dog, and I'm still like, is this is this my job? Am I am I here? Am I here? <laughs> am I doing my thing? And I love my job. But it's just yeah. Still yeah. Like, is this the the thing? And I don't know, I feel like, I guess, like, probably my parents, our parents' generation, like, I know my mom definitely had moments where she was doing the same thing, where she's like, is this all, like, what am I going to do next? So I don't know if it's, like, exclusively a generational thing by mm. any means, but I think it was very prominent in Gen X, like, kind of a questioning of, like, the way things have been done before, and a questioning of materialism and capitalism mm -hmm. and getting a job for the money and this terror of selling out and yeah. like and people in our generation some of them have gotten over their terror of selling out yeah. and i think part of me is still has a 
little bit of that terror of selling out, even though it oh. might be much better for me financially if I did. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Uh, some money and some insurance health insurance are really good things and fuck that selling out business that what a lie <laughs> i think it was such a lie <laughs> i'm not gonna sell out well, okay great well, i don't, I don't, I don't know, think it like, is entirely a lie though like because there are aspects of selling out where like you don't want to be contributing to like environmental harm or like okay um yes economic harm to other people you want to be contributing something valuable you know to the to the world i mean artistically selling out is a different matter. I think that's a little more. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like it's not you. really going to hurt anyone if you make a silly pop album. Where, right. You know? Right. Okay. But, that's what we're talking about. All right. I'm on the both same times. Page both times. Them. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Well, well, well. Anyway, we'll talk about the Lelena's uh, struggle about whether or not to sell out when we, as we're talking about reality bites today. Uh, but before we get started with today's episode, just a few notes. First, we'll have a spoiler-free section at the beginning of the episode, and we'll warn you before spoilers begin. We'd also like to remind you that you can follow the podcast on social media. Our Facebook page is Every Romcom Podcast and Blog. Our Instagram is at Every Romcom, and our Twitter handle is at Every Romcom Pod. And as always, you can find the podcast at everyromcom.com. Send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. And now let's listen to part of the trailer of Reality Bites. Hello, you've reached the winter of our discontent. Uh, making this documentary about my friends but it's really about people who are trying to find their own identity without having any real role models or heroes or anything and it seems like your friends would be perfect for that i truly believe that if we can get two women on the supreme court we can get at least one on you sam i lost my job why did you get a job at burgerama i was valedictorian of my university well you don't have to put that down on your application do you have any idea what it means to be a cashier at Wiener Schnitzel? There you go, sir. And have a tune, Wiener dude. A couple of smokes, a cup of coffee, and a little bit of conversation. You and me and five bucks. You got it. He's strange, he's sloppy, he's a total nightmare for women. I can't believe I haven't slept with him yet. Are you religious? I guess I'm uh, a non-practicing Jew. Hey, I'm a non-practicing virgin. Did he dazzle you with his extensive knowledge of mineral water? He's not a yuppie. What is your glitch, huh? My glitch? And why are you acting like a jealous boyfriend all of a sudden? Hi. You look beautiful. You you look like you look like a doily. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of the trailer was just playing the knack over images, so I couldn't keep that. So much fun. So Reality Bites was released in 1994. It was directed by Ben Stiller and written by Helen Childress. And it stars Winona Ryder, Ethan Hawke, Janine Garofalo, Steve Zahn, and Ben Stiller, along with a few interesting cameos in there and smaller roles. Yeah. So the story of the film is that um, it's about Lilena and her friends, Troy, Vicky, and Sammy, and they've recently graduated from college and each are dealing with work, relationships, and family issues. 
The Lena's trying to make it as a film slash TV director, and she spends her spare time working on a documentary about her friends' lives. When Lelena meets Michael, a TV executive, she's offered a chance at love and career success, but is what he's offering, which she really wants. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, there's a number of interesting facts about the movie. We're going to actually ha- cover a lot of them, I think, in the body of the podcast this time. A lot of times we put a lot of them up front, but the- just a little teaser right now. So first of all, writer Helen Childress was a 20-year-old USC student when she was offered $75,000 to write a script about her generation based on conversations she'd had with producer Michael Schamberg. Like these conversations were about her friends and their lives. And Michael Schamberg was kind of looking to do um, what is the Gen X story? Although at that time they were called the baby busters. So for a while it was called the untitled baby busters project, you know, busters because there weren't many of us in the generation, whereas baby boomers, there were a ton of them. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Can you imagine being offered that much money? Like in college? Oh my God. It's unbelievable. 20 years old. Hey, yeah. She'd made some kind of impressive student film, but still, it's like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> totally wild. So, Childress said of the film, it's embarrassing to watch now, to be honest with you, just because it feels like my diary is being read out loud. <laughs> um, <laughs> and here's an interesting thing. According to the screenwriter Helen Childress, the bites in reality bites was supposed to be a noun, not a verb. Mm-hmm. Like she was thinking of it like yeah. sound bites, yeah. like little bites of reality. So yeah. instead of saying reality bites, you should be saying like reality bites. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah. <laughs> I, I saw that in in a making of or like a reunion get together with everybody, and that's what she said. And I was like, oh my goodness, what a different yeah. take! And like, because definitely, I don't think anybody took it that way. Everyone's like, yep, reality yeah. does bite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes it a little more cheerful rather than so nihilistic almost. Right. Like, um, yeah, reality bites. <laughs> but I can't say it that way. It's reality bites. Like, right. I can't, I can't sw- make that mental switch after like twenty years of thinking of it one way. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Sorry. So, in terms of the casting, um, Winona Ryder was an early sign on to the movie, and then she pushed for Ethan Hawke to be cast in the movie. Uh, she was impressed with his work in A Midnight Clear. And then in turn, Steve Zahn was cast when the producers saw him in a play with Ethan Hawke. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the main cast came about that way. And Lisa Loeb then, who wrote the song Stay, which was in the movie and became a huge hit, Mm -hmm. was Ethan Hawke's neighbor. And she also wrote music for Ethan Hawke's theater company. So Hawke passed along the song Stay to Ben Stiller. And that's the story of how that came about. Yep. I love that. I love that, like. Ethan Hawke and Steve Zahn were already like friends and working together and Lisa Loeb and Ethan Hawke were friends and just I just love that vibe. Yeah. You know? And Janine Garofalo was already working with Ben Stiller yep. on the Ben Stiller show too. So yep. yeah, those little company of friends basically. Yeah. And the original title of the script, um, they had to get rid of it was The Real World. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because when they were in um, pre-production, the first season of The Real World was announced. Wow. That's an interesting coincidence. And the movie was made for $11.5 million, but ended up grossing $33 million, which is, you know, kind of modest. But at the same time, it profited well. So yeah. there you go. Okay, so this movie, um, let's talk about when we first saw it and what we thought of it and what we think of it now. Did you see it in the theater? Oh, I doubt it. 
But I, I remember instantly loving this movie, though. I remember just like really connecting with it right away. I don't know if that was your experience. I think so. I think, it, I mean, I watched it so much that since rewatching it for the podcast, it was it was almost hard to watch because I was like the voice inflections and everything. I was I, I knew it all. And um, <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, OK. So anyway, um, I saw it a lot. So you had seen it so you had seen, yeah. you remembered it so well that it was almost like redundant watching it or yeah. something or like Yeah. In the beginning. <laughs> I can talk more about that and, later too and like why. And was this has this been over the years too? Have you wa- rewatched it over the years or was this just from watching it when you were younger? I think from when I was younger, I honestly don't remember the last time I sat down and watched it. So it was a long time ago. This is surprising to me for an Ethan Hawke fan such as yourself, but, <laughs> but I tell you, it, la- it like it lasted between this and um, the you know before uh, sunrise. So whenever his face pops up, I'm like, Ethan, what's he up to? <laughs> silly. But I feel that way about Winona, honestly, and kind of all the cast from this film. Steve Zahn, yeah. I love. I've not yeah. watched everything he's done because it's a, it's because of the content. It's like, that's going to depress me or that looks scarier. I don't know what, but I think he's brilliant. So when I see his face and I think like, good for you, Steve, still working. Like I just, <laughs> yeah, no, he's doing a lot these days. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. I think he's great. Yeah. I also too feel kind of this like kinship with these characters in this movie in a funny way, like that mm-hmm. I don't with all actors. Like when I see them and things, I'm like, Oh yeah, good for you. Like right. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And like, how does, how does the movie like, like strike you now? Does it still speak to you? Um, like has it lost any of its luster or does it remain a favorite? What do you think? So much of it is of the time. Like I remember quoting so much of it and and just how they referenced so many retro things you know the, the their phraseology i don't know just like i'm cuckoo for cocoa puffs i get that not so fresh like i thought that was so funny at the time now i'm like okay <laughs> i thought it was stupid this time <laughs> i don't know so all the um pop culture references yeah. like they don't play well for you anymore no huh? they don't so i would say the first several minutes were hard but then like Later on, I kind of forgot. I don't know if they stopped doing it so much, but I got... No, they do it through the whole movie. <laughs> I, I guess I just started to only care about the little love triangle and like got yeah. into that again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... Um... I think it's a very cleverly put together movie. I don't mind the pop culture references because I remember like we would speak that way too. We, we would did. reference, we would talk about commercials all the time when we were growing up because everybody watched the same television stations and the right. same commercials. And there was still that kind of unifying culture, like where everybody would get each other's references, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which isn't so much the case anymore. Mm-hmm. Like people all watch different prestige TV shows and different reality shows and have different streaming services. Mm-hmm. But back then with your big three networks, everybody was on the same page. So um Yeah. I, and I kind of, I'm nostalgic for that, I guess, that shared culture, even if it is this kind of trashy commercial culture. <laughs> um, and then the movie still, I think, is very well made. It goes yes. by very quickly. Mm-hmm. Like, you're just on a ride with it. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel it's as deep as I used to think it was. When I was, like, that age, like, when I was also, like, a teenager in my 20s, it felt very deep to me and meaningful. Mm-hmm. And now it feels a little bit, like, more on the surface. Mm. And the relationships seem a little bit less... Mm-hmm. you know, soulmate relationships necessarily. Like maybe they're soulmates and we'll talk about that later, but like 
maybe this is, you know, right. <laughs> with the with perspective of being in relationships for decades now, maybe it doesn't <laughs> seem quite as good anymore. Right. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I, I still like it and I would rewatch it again, but it's not like something I'm going to rewatch all the time by any means. Right. Yeah, it had its time for me. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I guess we'll talk now a little bit about the cast and crew. We have covered quite a few of the cast of Reality Bites in previous episodes. So for more information on Winona Ryder, who plays Lelena, check out episode 30 on Heathers, also in our Gen X rom-com series. For more information on Ethan Hawke, who plays Troy, check out episode 16 on Before Sunset. And for more information on Janine Garofalo, check out episode 20 on Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah, I was so excited when we were covering this movie because I'm like, we've totally covered these people before. Yeah. We'll have time to cover some other people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so one of the other people we're going to cover is Ben Stiller. He's the director of the movie and he plays Michael Greitz. And he's the son of Jerry Stiller and Ann Mira. And they were a famous comedy team in the 60s and 70s. And you probably recognize them if you see them. Jerry Stiller, uh, for example, played George Costanza's dad on Seinfeld. Serenity Now! (laughs) (laughs) And Ann Mira actually has appeared in a lot of things, including she played Steve's mom on Sex and the City. And she's also in this movie. Um, She plays the journalist who asks Lelena to define irony at a job interview. So that was pretty cool. Mm Mm-hmm. Ben Stiller obviously had this Hollywood background, but he also began shooting Super 8 films at age 10, you know, on his own. And so he all, he had early ambitions, I think, to direct. Before Reality Bites, he had acted in theater, TV, and film, and he directed for Saturday Night Live and MTV. He created The Ben Stiller Show, which ran on MTV from 1990 to 1991 and on Fox from 1992 to 1993. And it was kind of like a skit comedy show. Mm-hmm. and. I only watched a couple episodes, like I didn't have time to watch much more, but he does, it was a lot of like pop culture, like riffs and things too on that. He actually like impersonates Bono in one of the early episodes. (laughs) And um, yeah, the other cast members on that show too, um, it's wild. It's like him, Janine Garofalo, Andy Dick, and then Bob Odenkirk, you know, from Better Call Saul. So pretty cool. Um, I didn't really love the the skit comedy show, to be honest, and I didn't watch it at the time. And I guess it got canceled pretty soon. But you do see a little bit of um, Ben Stiller's early sensibility in terms of his comedy. And Reality Bites, though, was his feature directing debut. Then after Reality Bites, he directed and acted in The Cable Guy, 1996, co-wrote, directed, and starred in Zoolander in 2001, co-wrote, directed, and starred in Tropic Thunder in 2008, and directed and starred in The Secret Life of Walter Mitty in 2013. He also co-wrote, directed, and starred in Zoolander 2 in 2016. So a lot of those movies that people just love. And then uh, most recently, Ben Stiller directed the TV show Severance in 2022. And he's currently working on a political movie called Bagman about the Nixon administration. So I think a lot of people don't really realize that Ben Stiller is a director. I think more casual movie fans might know him just as an actor. Mm -hmm. Um, He's acted in things including Flirting with Disaster, Zero Effect, There's Something About Mary, Mystery Men, Keeping the Faith, Meet the Parents, and all of its sequels, The Royal Tenenbaums, Along Came Polly, Dodgeball, 
And he's done voice work in Madagascar and its sequels. And then, of course, there's the Night at the Museum franchise, While We're Young, the Meyerowitz stories, Brad status, and just like a ton more. So he's just very well known as an actor, too. And he also works as a producer. Yep. And one of the, when I looked at his producer page, not the other pages, but on his producer page, there is an announcement for Dodgeball 2, which I would watch. <laughs> so it. do you have a, any do you have any do you have any favorite Stiller films that he's directed or acted in? Um, uh, I think Tropic Thunder was really great. Um, I saw the first Meet the Parents. That was good. I love Royal Tenenbaums and he's good mm. in it. Um, what about you? I want to put in a plug for Zero Effect, which not a lot of people have seen, and it's also got Bill Pullman in it. Ooh. And they are, their acting chemistry is great. It's kind of a weird modernization of um, Sherlock Holmes kind of thing, but it's not Sherlock Holmes. Okay. So it's, it's, I think, more innovative than some of the remakes of Sherlock Holmes have been. And there's also a love story in that. I can't remember the actress's name who appears in it, but she's also a great actress who works a lot. Uh, yeah, check out Zero Effect. It's a small little film. Cool. And I and I like, you know, I like Dodgeball and Tropic Thunder as well. Like his funny stuff. Yeah. Next, we have the writer Helen Childress. Despite having written such a successful film, Childress has very few produced screenplays. An excerpt from an interview in The Atlantic, she says, I've worked consistently and constantly for 29 years, she declared estimating her total output at about 40 screenplays. Most were paid assignments for studios, um, with more than half reaching a level where directors or talent were attached. Of the handful that Childress wrote on spec, half were sold or optioned. Most of them feature female protagonists. In all sincerity, I think that was the problem. That's her quote. Man, yeah. that's, that's like good for her that she kept getting work but like also bummer um to get yeah. so close can you imagine writing 40 whole screenplays and none of them get made into movies can you imagine that that's what it's wow only recently has she added to her imdb credits in 2016 her first imdb credit since reality bites um is a tv series called model woman in 2019, there's a credit for Escaping the Madhouse, the Nellie Bly story. It was a TV movie. And other credits, she's got two episodes of The Spanish Princess, five episodes um, of Good Girls, and is announced as the writer for a family drama called Crenshaw. And she's also yeah. uh, plays the waitress in a scene in Reality Bites where Elena and Michael are on a date. So now I'm going to talk about somebody that we both really enjoy watching, the actor Steve Zahn, who plays Sammy. According to Uprox, Steve Zahn had been active in the New York theater scene before making Reality Bites. Uh, he had a few small film and TV roles also before Reality Bites, but Reality Bites was kind of a big break for him. Mm -hmm. And other notable work from Steve Zahn after Reality Bites includes That Thing You Do, Out of Sight, Joyride, Riding in Cars with Boys, Sahara, Management, uh, the TV show Treme, which is really good, which ran from 2010 to 2013. I guess he was in Tall Girl, the Netflix movie. I didn't really care for that one, but he's also in Tall Girl 2. Mm -hmm. He appears in Uncle Frank, and he was in the recent TV show The White Lotus from 2021. He, he was excellent in that one. Mm -hmm. He was also in 8-Bit Christmas. And he's got a lot of stuff on the way as well. Um, he's completed a film called Gringa. 
And he's in post-production on movies Your Place or Mine with Reese Witherspoon and an animated film called RoboDog. <laughs> and I think Your Place or Mine is actually a rom-com. And I think it might be him and Reese Witherspoon in the romance. Oh so gosh. that would be really cool. Oh my gosh. Love it. <laughs> Have you seen The White Lotus yet? No. I think you'd enjoy his performance in that. Like, I mean, there are depressing aspects to that show, but there are also hilarious aspects to that show. And it's also got Jennifer Coolidge. So, ah, yeah. <laughs> She's an icon. Cool. Okay, so that's our cast. As we've mentioned, a lot of them, like we said, we've talked about them on previous episodes. I hope you'll check some of those episodes out. If you just want to hear the segments about the cast and crew, remember to check our show notes. And our show notes will tell you what timestamp to start listening for to be able to hear just about the cast and crew. All right. So I want to go ahead and go on record as saying that like Reality Bites for me is probably just the ultimate Gen X movie, period. Mm-hmm. Like... I, I was thinking that and then I was and then I also asked myself, okay, well if you had to like show somebody from the future like what the Gen X era was like and just show them one movie, hmm. what would you show them? And I'm tempted by some other things, like I'm tempted by like Slacker hmm. or Pulp Fiction hmm. or Singles, hmm. but I feel like Reality Bites in a way because it intentionally tried to be about the generation hmm. ends up encapsulating so much of it in one movie. What do you think? Well, of the few that you just mentioned, I'm going to have to agree with you. Yeah, it was like, I don't think Pulp Fiction, because um, it feels like a you know specific genre versus about like what people were living and doing, like maybe quote unquote yeah. real average people or whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I think singles would come a close second, to be honest. But uh, yeah, Reality Bites, I'm with you. Yeah. Slackers, I feel too location specific and would make you think that there were many more middle-aged conspiracy theorists walking around than perhaps there were, or perhaps there are that many middle-aged conspiracy (laughs) theorists walking around. I don't know. But yeah, Reality Bites is just such a Gen X movie. And um, Frank Rich of the New York Times had a quote about the movie from that time said, this is the movie that has been both praised as the last word on Xers and damned as Hollywood's slickest effort yet to exploit them. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I did not feel that it was exploitive when it came out myself. I felt like, you know, right. no, these are people my around my age making something that speaks to me. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's written by a 20-year-old, that bears it out to me a little too. Yeah. I was watching, um, again, a reunion. I think you can, well, I found it on YouTube. Is it the Tribeca Film Festival reunion? Yeah. Yeah. I can put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, I do, because it was great. And it, they talked about how it has like an indie feel, but it was backed by a major studio. So they kind of like, even then when they went to Sundance with it, it was like, wait a minute, you're not independent. But I I feel like it has an indie vibe. Um, Yeah. And I think, Things like that have changed too. That like, hey man, you sold out. You got the big. <laughs> Anyhow, that's what it made me think of. I don't yeah. think it was exploited either. So, um, yeah. So I just think this was like such a good representation of the generation. And like, you still see if you look up Gen X films on Google, like Reality Bites, like shows up on every list, right? Mm-hmm. And the BBC even used it as like their banner picture. Um, <laughs> the the four of them on the roof for the films that define Gen X, right? 
So I, and then I wrote um, in our blog, every rom-com podcast and blog, I wrote a blog article called what makes a Gen X rom-com. And like every category, I kept like referencing something from reality bites. And I'm like, okay, this is the one, this is, this is the essence right here. So feel free to check that blog article out too, and see if you agree. So what are some things, what are some of the things we, we're not going to go over all of them, but some of the things that make this a Gen X film I mean, Winona Ryder right there. She was already the icon from Heathers and from other projects. Ethan Hawke and Janine Garofalo, I think more became Gen X icons thanks to the film because they weren't really at the time. Mm -hmm. Some other things that make it a Gen X film. So we already talked about the pop culture references in the movie, but and I don't know if younger generations would get all of them, but they're constantly just quoting ad slogans. Mm -hmm. They're singing songs from the show Schoolhouse Rock. They reference Melrose Place. They reference all kinds of like pop culture in this movie. And that is such a Gen X hallmark that yeah. we've seen in the works of Quentin Tarantino that we talked about in the True Romance episode. Yeah. And then we're going to talk about with Kevin Smith in the Chasing Amy episode that's coming up. We'll also talk about more later. There's also a lot of Gen X fashion in this mm-hmm. movie. I mean, it's kind of like which came first. Like, did this movie capture what people were already wearing or did this movie cause us to wear things? Yeah, it's probably a good question. And there's also in the movie, there's not just like the contemporary 90s fashion, but there's like uh, Vicky, Janine Garofalo's character is exemplifying vintage 70s fashion. So that's really awesome. But one of the main things that makes this like such a definitive Gen X film and like in terms of like the is the filming style. And this movie alternates between like just watching a normal movie where you're just watching characters and scenes doing things. And then a lot of the scenes are told through Lelena's documentary camera. And they were actually shot on video too. Awesome. And they're edited together in a way that's very seamless, honestly. Yeah. Like it works really well. Like Ben Stiller's direction there. I mean, I'm sure a lot of it was in the script, but the way Ben Stiller weaves it together is really great. Yeah. But yeah, this was, um, this was a relatively new kind of thing to see in movies to see this kind of like, uh, camcorder documenting reality, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And like you'd see it later in 99 with like the Blair Witch Project making a whole horror movie like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is kind of the start of those types of innovations and right at the birth of reality TV, which we will also talk about later in the podcast. Okay, so let's now um get into the movie. So we open the movie with a graduation ceremony, but before we see the graduation ceremony, the screen is like this blank blue TV screen with Lelena's voiceover on it. And it's like the way your TV used to look when you'd switch modes between the TV and the VCR and it, and then you press play and it says VCR play on it. So this is like a very nineties kid reference. Cause we're one of the generations that grew up with, we're like the generation that grew up with a VCR. Yep. So this might be lost on people now. I mean, you can still sometimes get a similar thing, I guess if you switch modes for your Blu-ray player, but it's not the same. So yeah. And this was and this is just showing you right away like this is a movie that's going to alternate between video and film. Yeah, this movie has a pretense of being in reality. Yeah, like that like this is all you're just watching somebody's authentic tapes. This is really Lelena's documentary while it's also a movie. So that's interesting. Yeah. And then Lelena, the voiceover we get, the the voiceover we get then is Lelena's graduation commencement speech. And Sophia Please do the honors. Okay. And they wonder why those of us in our 20s refuse to work an 80-hour week just so we can afford to buy their BMWs. Why we aren't interested in the counterculture that they've invented 
as if we did not see them disembowel their revolution for a pair of running shoes. But the question remains, what are we going to do now? How can we repair all the damage we've inherited? Fellow graduates, the answer is simple. The answer is... The answer is... I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's where she loses her place and her cards. I wonder what the answer was. I wonder. No, I actually think she was pretending to lose her place. Don't you think that was purposeful? I've always read that as a purposeful thing that she didn't actually like have the answer, and that was like a gimmick. No, I. You always thought that she really lost that she lost like her card, and um, yeah, yeah. I okay. I I need to find out what what the intention is that because like a hundred percent, I have never thought that she lost her card. Like ever, I've always interpreted this as this is Lelena's clever like uh, gimmick to show that this is where her generation is at. Like, because she's so you know, I think I feel like she's the kind of person who could speak off the cuff if she chose to. I, I don't feel think like she she's would. Kind of perfect and would never fuck up her valedictorian speech. Yeah. So, do you still think that? Do you still think she lost her card though? Yeah. With that so, yeah. In mind. Uh huh. Okay. Because okay, the way she's I, breathing heavily and looking around like, oh, no, like her reaction. And then like acting. Uh, <laughs> she's selling it. Know. She's selling it. Wow. I think she's. Find out. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's Read, we'll look it up. I want to hear what the listeners think, though. Listeners, yes. um, please like contact us via feedback at everyromcom.com and tell us what you think. Or you can also tell us on Twitter. I might even put up a Twitter thread about it to see what you think. So I want to know. Yeah. P- please tell us what you think. Anyway, so but let's look at the rest of this um, speech, though. Are there things you relate to in her speech? Are there things that like you identify with? Oh, I'm still waiting for that 80-hour work week crap to go away. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Like everybody, at least in my years in Brooklyn, my I was in my you know mid-20s to mid-30s. And all of my friends in that same age, even if they got jobs in the fields that they were interested in, they sucked the life out of them. It was work, work, work. And it was like, what the hell? I I can't do this anymore. So people would like quit the jobs that they were dreaming of because it was, it just sucked their life away. 80, it was no like 40 hour work week. It was longer than that and more hours and you know, damned if the yeah. pay didn't reflect all the work either. It was like, um, then pay me more. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, the worst thing is like the 80 hour work week doesn't even pay for a BMW these days. No. Like there are plenty of people working an 80 hour work week just so they can pay rent. So, yes, I mean, we're in a, in a if anything, I think we're in a worse situation right now than the one Lilena is describing. Mm-hmm. Um, I would agree. I remember feeling like you had a choice to reject luxury items back then, right? Like Hmm. you could decide like, well, I'm going to do good work. Like I don't need all that stuff, but now it's like, (laughs) now it's like less about rejecting luxury items and more about like you're rejecting subsistence almost. If you don't take some jobs that you don't want or work more hours than you would like to. And that frankly sucks. Another thing that's interesting to me though, is this movie, it's like, it has like kind of an anti-consumerist pose. 
and an anti-capitalist pose here and there, uh-huh. but they never really talk about the environment, which is the main thing I think about when I read the sentence, how can we repair all the damage mm-hmm. we inherited? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they never really talk about the environment. Do you no. remember any references no. in this movie to the environment? None. No. Yeah. I'm trying to think like if maybe that wasn't front mm. on people's minds at the time, I guess that didn't really come in until El Gore was bringing up climate change more prominently, but like, Yeah. I don't know. I feel like, but Earth Day had already been invented, right? So, like, I felt like I had awareness of the environment then. And, you know, Exxon Valdez was already talked about in singles. So, yeah. I, I feel like What's your excuse, Reality Bites? Um, I think they were <laughs> concerned about, like, AIDS. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that kind of social justice piece, you know? But and it like- didn't feel like it was, like, on a social justice way. It feels very personal in the movie, more than, like, a social justice piece Right, to me. but maybe, like, a greater... Well, like, what sort of Vicky says, you know, the rite of passage for our generation. Does that make sense? Where it's, like, very personal, but also, like, this is what my generation is dealing with. And... Yeah. And Sammy coming out and that kind of stuff, like... But not, but not like, but it's not, like like something like we need more funding for AIDS research or all these gay men are dying of AIDS, like, like act up or something. It's more like, how is this affecting us? You know what I mean? I get it. So it's like this very political statement sort of in the graduation speech about repairing the damage that we inherited, but I don't really see that play out in a political way in the movie. I guess I could say, do you want to say any more about the speech in general or like, no, no, the speech never resonated with me. Even now, I guess the only thing that really resonated was like working a whole lot for not much to show for it. But um, that's it. That's well, all. It really say. resonates me with me that how can we repair all how can we repair all the damage we inherited? And then I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like that resonates with me because I still feel like as Generation X, we inherited a lot of environmental damage. We inherited a political system that's dominated by money. Mm-hmm. How can we do something about this? I feel like after trying different methods, I feel like I don't know. Like I feel very lost, like more lost than I did 20 years yeah. ago, to be honest. 20, 25 years ago. Yeah, for sure. Cause uh, right. They're asking this question 25 years ago and I'm asking it now and I'm like, what the hell? Like this isn't a new question. <laughs> this yeah. isn't a new issue. Why isn't it like anywhere near resolved now? Yeah, I've, pro- I've protested. I've donated and worked for politicians. Um, I guess I haven't tried everything. I guess I haven't put my actual body on the line in terms of like really endangering myself or doing like, I don't know, wild forms of protest, but like, I'm honestly not sure that that would work any better in the, in the climate we live in, in the country we live in. So I don't know. And I get, I think Gen X, like some of the other hosts I've talked to, and I don't know if I included in the shows have kind of said that Gen X kind of seems like a do nothing generation to them. But I will say in our defense that our voting block is very small. Hmm. Like, on either side, we have much larger voting blocks that have kind of oh. dominated politics. Mm-hmm. So it can be a little hard like <laughs> trying to make a big difference. Interesting. So now we're on the rooftop after graduation and we get kind of each of their opening statements. And so first we get Lelena, who does a pop culture reference right away. I'm not a valedictorian, but I play one on TV, which of course is referencing those kinds of commercials that said, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. Got it. I'd forgotten. You, I'd forgotten. Oh, you had forgotten. I'd forgotten. Well, there's that. no hope. There's no hope for today's audiences then. I forgot. What that, well, I love Vicky's line. May I? 
Can I do this? Yeah. My favorite part about graduating now will be dodging my student loan officer for the rest of my life. He will be in cahoots with the Columbia Record and Tape Company guy. Been after my ass for years. <laughs> Or there's a Gen X experience. That's a Gen X experience. The Columbia record. Yes, I did that for a while. (laughs) How many times did you join and then have your parents call them and be like, "This person can't actually do this." I think I I did it in college. It was like, oh, really? You didn't do? Yeah, you didn't do it in high school. I think I joined it like two or three different times in in between middle school and high school. And each time I was unable to keep paying for the things, and each time my parents had to call and be like, "Hey, you can't actually like." (laughs) let her do this. And then they kept like still signing me up again. I had so many free tapes as a result of that. Seriously. That's hilarious. Cause like my parents would be like, she can't be legally responsible for this. That's funny. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's really, it's kind of shitty of me when I think back on it, but like, I think each oh, time I started with the actual intention that I was going to actually send the tapes back, but it just never had the, you know, right. Wherewithal to get it done. Mm-hmm. Oh, and for our younger listeners, so what would happen is Columbia Records and Tape, like you could get like 10 tapes or something for one cent. And then you'd be signed up for this thing where they'd send you like a tape or two a month. And then if you didn't send them back, you had to pay for them with the idea that you would forget to send them back and end up having to pay for them. Uh But like there was like some kind of catch where like if you were under 18, I don't think they could legally do that in some states. So people under 18 were getting all these tapes for years, but older people would end up owing all this money for these tapes they didn't even want. So yeah. that was the whole, I guess it must've made the money for a while. That's funny. I also appreciate her line um, in regards to the social security number. It's the only thing I really learned in college that, that <laughs> always cracked me up. Still does. Yeah. Yeah. This whole rooftop scene is just kind of like intercut, like little quips from each person that kind of let you get to know them as who they are. And Troy, um, his one of his things is you find out that he actually didn't graduate. He's like very close to graduating. His contribution, he throws away a tassel that Lelena gives him as a souvenir and says, well, I'm through with the whole wankerama. <laughs> He's just not with it. He doesn't want to do the same thing as everybody else. He's against the man, I guess. I don't know. Troy also is kind of camera shy and he calls attention to the fact that Lelena is filming and wants her to turn it off. But that's also how we find out that she's making a documentary. Yeah. And then we've also got uh, Sammy. <laughs> and I like Sammy's goal, played by Steve Zahn. My goal is to, I'd like a career or something. <laughs> I feel like that's super true and real. <laughs> My goal, I'd like a career or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh man. And so in this opening sequence, there are so many pop culture references. I don't even have them all down. But like Troy at one point says, I'd like to buy the world a Coke, an ad slogan. Mm -hmm. Vicky says, sometimes I get that not so fresh feeling, Um, a douche commercial. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the scene, the whole scene ends with them singing Conjunction Junction from Schoolhouse Rock, which I feel like I was a little too young to watch Schoolhouse Rock. Did you ever watch that show? Never, no. Yeah, I think that was the people just above us, like um, just a few years older than us, that Schoolhouse Rock was the thing they watched. It was like a cartoon, and they would have songs that were like educational and stuff. Got it. Because they do two different songs from Schoolhouse Rock in the movie. They do Conjunction Junction, What's Your Function? And then they also do later, I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Oh, funny. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. And then um, now that they've had their fun, 
it's time to have dinner with the parents and it's an awkward dinner. It's Lelena and her dad with his wife and her mom with her husband and Troy um, is there. Yeah. Yeah. Which was interesting. It's like he's her date, but they're not dating. Right. Yeah. But it shows you how important he must be if he's the one who goes to the dinner with the parents, I think, you know? Right. You know, she refers to him as my best friend. So. Yeah. Yeah. So. Lelena's dad says now that, you know, his new wife has her new infinity, uh, you can have her old BMW and he hands Lelena the keys to this BMW that causes a big rift between the mom and dad. And he also gives her a gas car and he's like, I'll pay for that for the whole year. Um, which actually that's a really great gift. <laughs> I know, right? Like somebody gives really... you a car and gas like for a whole year. Like, come yeah. on. Yeah. Why would there be any question of not accepting that? I know, but thanks. But you know, she makes a big point. We don't want your BMWs. And he's like, I'm not gonna listen to some silly old speech and blah blah blah. Which really is really dismissive. Anyway. I don't know. I'm with the dad on this one personally. <laughs> uh, but you see how Lelena is like the peacekeeper. She's like, okay, listen, I'll take it. I'll take it. Okay. Until I can afford my own car and, you know, really tries to keep the peace between her fighting parents. Yeah. Good old Lelena. The important thing to remember about the scene though, is basically just that Lelena receives a gas card from her dad that he's going to pay for a year. So this becomes an important factor in the film. Now we're still kind of moving on to this montage and it feels like this movie opens like four different times. Like you've hmm. got the graduation speech, you've got the rooftop segment, then you've got the the dinner with the parents, but this morning montage feels like the movie's opening all over again, doesn't it? Yeah. You're right. Yeah, like yeah, it's like <laughs> we're going to introduce these characters in various ways, but it doesn't feel weird. It feels like nor- natural like at the same time. Maybe it's cuz the soundtrack's so good. It just kind of like moves you through it. And you kind of just see Lelena doing her morning. She's improvising a coffee filter out of like some toilet paper or something. She's obviously on her way to work. And then you see Troy like leaving a house after like what appears to be a one night stand. And the person he's leaving is Renee Zellweger in one of her first film roles. Um, We see her all too briefly uh, kissing Troy goodbye. And then Troy ditches her number Right on the ground in front of her house. So she's going to find that later. I didn't notice that part until somebody pointed out in an article. I'm like, oh, my God, she is going to see that later. Yeah. That's so sad. Yeah. He's he's the jerk. (laughs) Trey's not not too thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah, He can't even, like, take it home. Well, I guess for the purpose of the film, we have to see him ditch the number, right? Like, right right there. But, like, it ends up being kind of really crappy. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Anyway. Uh-huh. And then we also see another a guy, another guy leaving a girl's room after a night of sex, presumably. And that room is Vicky's room. And Vicky's room is just a beautiful vintage creation, just all kinds of 1970s and early 80s decor mm-hmm. lining the walls, Saturday Night Fever poster, records on the wall, her Charlie's Angels lunchbox. It's I love that room so much. Yeah pretty awesome and we also we also then see vicky's she has a book of people she's had sex with and she's filling it in and the one she's filling in that day is 66 september 26 rick but then she adds a question mark after rick because she can't remember and i like how she's, like, not she's sure. like faking that she's sleeping like she really doesn't care if he runs out yeah it really gives you a sense of like vicky's life though between uh-huh. her room and this little book and like how she's keeping it like that. 
finally the pan to Troy at his job at a newsstand and he's just sitting there and he reaches over and takes a Snickers bar and starts to eat it, which comes back later. So then we go to Lelina's job, which is at a TV show called Good Morning Grant. Um, and the host is played by John Mahoney. We've seen him before in Moonstruck playing the person who's courting Olympia Dukakis's character. And he's also in Say Anything. He appeared in Frasier. So he's a really fabulous actor. But his character in this movie is very unlikable. He's playing like this corny, aw shucks host of this morning TV show. But then in real life, he turns out to be like a total jerk to Lelena. Mm -hmm. We also find out in this scene that he basically needs everything done for him. He needs everything set up. He needs notes about what he's going to say. He needs his coffee prepared and put next to him. Like very demanding boss and kind of helpless in some way too, which we will see play out later. Okay. So we move on. Um, we, there are a lot of scenes we're skipping, but we move on to a scene where Lelena meets Michael played by Ben Stiller. So I love the opening to the scene where Vicky and Lelena are singing tempted by squeeze in the car. How about you? Oh well, yeah. I, I love that song. And did you know squeeze before this film? No, did not. Okay, I did. And I feel really special about that because I have a cousin who's eight years older than me. And so she knew music and she had this Squeeze album that then my sister had and I totally have. And like, we all have this album. So that song Tempted, I knew. And I was like, I know it. I feel so cool. <laughs> I, I knew a retro, retro thing. Um, and it's a great song. And yeah, I like it. They're sitting there. So much smoking in this film. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everybody's smoking in this so movie. Much well, not everybody, but a lot. <laughs> and yeah. Oh, and it is important that Lilina's smoking at this moment. Yeah. Right. Because Michael then pulls up next to them um, at a light in his convertible and he's listening to like some hardcore sounding hip hop. I found out the song is called Murder and it's by a group called KMC. And this is one of the first instances I remember of making fun of like the kind of white guy with the, you know, rap, like hardcore rap music playing. Yeah. I've seen, that's a reference you saw a lot in mm -hmm. like the nineties, like something like office space too. But like, that's the first, I think I remember seeing that joke and he's also on a car phone while he's like struggling with a map. So Michael's got a lot going on in that car and Lelena and Vicky look at him and they are just laughing at him. Yeah. Uh, and then Lelena tosses her cigarette out the window and it goes into his car on one of the CD cases and starts like smoking and Michael freaks out and then he crashes into Lelena's car and his airbag goes off and like yeah. at first they're shocked and then they keep laughing at him. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't know if that's the time to laugh or not. Right. Really? I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, it's kind of a meat cute. This is like your rom-com meat cute basically. So they go to Michael's office at this thing called In Your Face TV, which is like supposed to be like a riff on MTV, basically. They do mention MTV, though, in the movie. They're like, it's like MTV, but hipper. With an and, edge um, or something. Yeah. yeah, with an edge, something like that. And the idea is that Michael's going to like, you know, talk to his lawyer and like they might have to like sue her or something like that. But th during their little conversation, Michael like and her start kind of flirting, not necessarily flirting, but they're getting along well. Mm -hmm. And then Michael seems like he's just going to give it up because she's a cute girl basically in the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She also mentions how much money she makes a week. And she's like saying, I only like, she says it like it's only, she's like, I only make $400 a week. 
Okay. And I ran this through an online calculator and it says that that's around 750 to 760 a week in 2022 money or about 3000 a month. And I have to say, I don't make 3000 a month right now. Okay. So like, I mean, it's not bad money. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is, that is not bad. That does not sound like a sad sack situation. Like in today's economy, I wouldn't say, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is sad actually. Oh, and um, also in this scene, we see Michael has like this little Dr. Zayas uh, like statue, which is from Planet of the Apes. So we have another like pop culture vintage reference. And um, Lelena ends up knocking over poor Dr. Zayas in this scene. But Michael still asks her out for a date. Yep. She gets his card. And I thought it was cute. Her conversation with Vicky. Did he ask you to go out or hang out? Are you getting dinner or coffee and then like it was just this verbiage and like what does this meeting look like and i was like oh i remember you know those conversations were important yeah still important yeah Yeah. you still try to suss out what's going on in situations for sure as this conversation is happening they're like are you going out or hanging out they come into the apartment and troy is moving in he got fired from the newsstand for taking the Snickers bar (laughs) and he's lost his job (laughs) and he needs a place to crash. Some of the funny things that, you know, make it of the time, Troy needs to get a new job and find a place. And Melena says, Vicky, that's the American dream of the nineties that could take years. (laughs) And then we've said before, Lelena says that Troy will turn this place into a den of slack. Um, And then Vicky says, welcome to the maxi pad. Always a funny line. Then we kind of transition into like what's sort of Lelena's documentary footage. It's very seamless. You don't feel like you're being transitioned into a different movie. It just all kind of holds together. But this is clearly meant to be seen through Lelena's camera. Um, We see Troy's band, um, Hey, That's My Bike. And he's kind of just like grooving on his guitar kind of casually. So this is a cool thing, though. In this sequence, he appears to be just like kind of making up an improvised song. He says... Should I get married? Should I be good? Astound the girl next door with my velvet suit and Faustus hood? Don't take her to movies, but to cemeteries. Tell all about werewolf bathtubs and forked clarinets. And so that was actually from a poem, and Ben Stiller didn't realize it at the time when he used it for the movie. And Ethan Hawke told The Guardian later about this scene, and he said, In one scene, I recited a Gregory Corso poem, Marriage, while playing the guitar. When I saw the final cut, I said to Ben, Hey, man, that's a famous poem. We've got to buy the rights to that. A year later, I was in New York, and this old guy grabbed me by the face and kissed me. I'm Gregory Corso, he said. You are an angel. I was destitute, and out of nowhere, I got a check for $17,000. Yep. <laughs> and I think that's so cool Like yep. that Ethan Hawke's kind of like a sophisticated improvisation ended up helping a poet like, yep. to get by, right? So great. So fantastic. I'll put a link to that poem too in the show notes so you can look at it in its entirety. I think it also just like, it's a really great illustration of Troy's character. He's supposed to be kind of like this genius guy who knows all about arts and culture and philosophy, but just kind of won't graduate and won't go along with what is expected of him. So like one thing that like people have said though, about the movie, including Ethan Hawke himself is that there is a lot of Ethan Hawke at that age in the Troy character. Mm. Like he kind of blended his look and his interests into the Troy character. So that's interesting. Yeah. I thought that was cool. And this poem is one example of that. 
Um, after that, we also see some more like pseudo documentary footage. We see like Lena and Troy talking and kind of flirting with some brownies. Yeah. Uh, we see everybody getting stoned in the apartment. And that's where like Vicky says that line. Don't bogart that can man. And then um, we also find out that they're celebrating because Vicky was promoted to be manager of the gap. And she talks about how excited she is about that. And um, she's responsible for all these shirts. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and they ask Troy, like, aren't you excited? And he uses yet another ad line. I'm bursting with fruit flavor. Um, starburst, I believe. Okay. So yeah, they're all, they're all stoned and they get hungry and their hunger, their stoned munchies is what leads us to one of the iconic scenes in this movie, which is the our gas station slash convenience store scene. So they're at the, they're at the, the gas station. Everyone's stoned. They're picking out their food. And one of the th- iconic things from this scene is that, um, Vicky comes up to them with a bottled water, like an Evian. And she said, guys, like I just realized Evian is naive spelled backwards. Yep. That was a big thing in the nineties. People big would quote that back. Thing. Yep. Naive. Yeah. yeah. The more iconic part of the scene. And I, and I don't, I'm not overusing iconic here. This really is like mm-hmm. one of the iconic scenes of the 1990s is when my Sharona by the neck comes on the gas station radio and Vicky's like, turn it up, please turn it up. And the gas station guy kind of reluctantly turns it up. And then Vicky starts dancing. Sammy starts dancing. Lelena starts dancing. Troy just sort of stands there. (laughs) (laughs) And the gas station guy looks at him like, what is going on with your friends? And I love Troy does this little tiny mic, like Ethan Hawke does this like micro expression where he kind of like, like his Lips go up as if to smile for just a moment, but you never see a smile. It's just yeah. this kind of sad, uh-huh. uh, like sad, like acknowledgement that the that his friends exist and they're being weird and it's not his fault, kind of thing. You right. know, right? There's so much conveyed in that look. Yeah. Did you love this scene when it came out? I loved this scene when it came out. Sure. Yeah. So much fun. Yeah, just the fun times you have when you're younger that don't necessarily make sense to adults that are kind of ridiculous. Hmm. And I look at kids now, I'm like, okay, okay, no one cares. No one wants to see your show. (laughs) I'm like, surely I didn't do that. I totally did that. Did we note that in this scene, the reason that they're going to the gas station for munchies is because none of them have cash and they're hungry. And and Lelena goes, oh, wait a minute. And she holds up the gas card that her dad's paying for. Yeah, we did not know, but that's an important note. Yes. Important note. They pay for it with the credit card. (laughs) Yeah, her dad wasn't really thinking, you know, about what you can really use a gas card for when he gave her the gas card. Yep. So, like, this is as good a place as any to talk about now fashion in the movie. I often will, like, try to find a dress that looks like Lelena's floral print long dress from the graduation rooftop opening scene. Uh So that's one of my fashion iconic things from this movie, those long floral print dresses. Like, is there anything in the movie that, like, you just love or that sticks out to you? I love her little brown dress that she wears later. I think she's wearing it on interviews. And it's got a little belt, but it's very big on her. And I think she's wearing some kind of a loafer. Just cute. I could never wear that when I was younger. I don't know if I would wear it now even. Like, that look doesn't look quite right on me. 
when I watch this, all I see is my sister, actually. Really? Yeah. I feel like, well, A, these people in this film were four years older than me, as my sister is. And she, Hmm. I feel like when I was watching this, she was in her 20s. And she was living this life of like this really funky, cool apartment but in Madison and like smoking her own camels that she rolled and like um, greasy, dark, short hair and (laughs) just like cute and petite. And like, she looked like that Winona Ryder character. Nice. Yeah. I think so. Winona Ryder looks so put together in this movie. Like whether she's wearing just like a white button down and like kind of torn jeans or like kind of like, cool black cropped pants and loafers like just all kinds of different looks but they all kind of like go together as a piece Mm -hmm. like so she's rocking that kind of like 90s like casual like not grunge but like a little hip Mm -hmm. style Mm -hmm. and then vicky's got two things she's got her work clothes her gap clothes because she works at the gap which like are so recognizable like what the gap used to have like very limited types of clothes they had now it's like much more different you know styles patterns whatever yeah but then it was like very denim simple cuts simple t-shirts yeah khaki um, slacks so yeah Mm -hmm. but then she has her other style her at home style is like these 70s polyester dresses with the huge collars most of them are kind of short above the knee dresses with like wild prints Uh and she's got her platform wedge sandals and she has her Charlie's Angels lunchbox, which she carries as a purse. As a purse. Now, I wanted to note this yes. because my senior year of high school, I carried a Scooby-Doo lunchbox around like yes. functionally as a purse. Yes. I took it to all my classes. I became kind of like notorious for having this. Like freshmen would like mm-hmm. think it was cool. Mm-hmm. A lot of them actually. Mm-hmm. I think people in our grades and the other grades, maybe some of them thought it was dumb. But No, I love. I remember and I loved it. It was great. Yeah, it was like a tin, like a, like yeah. like Vicky. It was like a metal, uh-huh. like a Scooby Doo lunchbox with different patterns from Scooby Doo, and I would keep all my school supplies and different stuff in there, like all kinds of weird stuff. Ah! But um, I had little fortunes taped in the the lid and a little mirror by the end of it. But um, why I mention this is because I'm pretty sure I must have gotten the idea to do that from this movie. Uh, sure. I must have. Yes, I don't think I just randomly started carrying it like no. that. I think I should start it again. I should bring it back. that would be fun but like i don't have any 70s dresses so you know i'll have to get on that they probably cost like hundreds of dollars these days like back in the 90s you could get them at like goodwill for like two bucks yes i remember yeah do you remember going to kenosha because they had the good thrift stores did you oh yeah yeah or waukesha or like wherever yeah yeah we would thrift all the time so vicky's really our thrift icon she's definitely the one whose style like probably I relate to the most from that time period because I was always going, yeah, like you said, to the thrift store. Uh huh. Then we've got um, Troy's style. He's got the, and Troy's, and, and Ethan Hawke said that Troy, he was basically just dressing like himself with hair like his own hair. Mm-hmm. Okay. That greasy, <laughs> so kind of, greasy hair. Yeah. A little bit shaggy, a little bit long, a little bit greasy. Yeah. And then white t-shirts with sometimes like 70s type era button down shirts over them and kind of plain jeans. I feel like there were several guys in our graduating in my graduating class that dressed exactly like Troy. <laughs> I don't remember, but I'm sure. Graham Watling. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Graham Watling dressed exactly like Troy Dyer. I swear to God. That's hilarious. <laughs> I forgot all about that. And then Sammy is wearing like um Sammy, who's the the gay character, is wearing like 
polo shirts. He's very put together, like nice jeans. He's looking preppy, you know, kind of straight laced, but he is in fact, he is in fact somebody who is living a lifestyle that is actually much more bold and daring than any of the other characters Mm -hmm. because of the times he's living in. Okay, so let's now talk about, um, we had the meet cute with Michael. Let's talk about the first date with Michael. Um, Yeah, so this is going to start to bring Michael and Troy into each other's universe because Michael comes over to pick up Lelena and all the roommates and her friends are playing like a drinking game where they're naming episodes of the show Good Times, which, by the way, I never watched. Good Times? Did you I watch saw that some one? episodes. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. But they're playing this game where they have to like either name an episode of Good Times that nobody named before, like the one where blah, blah, blah did blah, 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 mm-hmm. or they have to drink if they can't think of one. And like, that is a very like, yeah, that is the kind of thing that you could experience back then because everyone watched the same TV shows. Mm. I'm wondering to what extent people could do that anymore. Like what TV show, like could anyone today play that game with? Chimney and just the reruns, you know, the reruns of those shows. Oh yeah, you used to watch reruns. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's another part of why not only did you have like the same three networks, but reruns would be on every day too. And like, you would watch these old episodes of TV shows that you maybe didn't even care about just because that was what was on and that was your only choice. I mean, maybe you could go to the video store, rent a movie, but other than that, you have these reruns, you have the video you rented, or you could just like not watch TV. Right. right? Well, because right. Why was I, and I remember this being young, like little nine, 10 catching reruns of good times. Cause those came out earlier, right? Early in the eighties, late seventies or something like that. So um, I was watching, Three's Company. I love Three's Company. Oh, yeah. So great. I bought a t shirt that says Regal Beagle on it, Santa Barbara, because I love it so much. So, those were the things that we were watching on rerun, Mm -hmm. previously recorded years before as kids. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's no reason a kid these days would be just like randomly watching, like, Right. episodes of Seinfeld. I mean, maybe I guess I heard that it's doing very well on Netflix now. So there are people watching Seinfeld again, but like you wouldn't be watching it. No, you wouldn't be forced to watch it. You could right. watch Euphoria instead, or you could watch Bridgerton instead. You could watch whatever new thing was out. Right. You wouldn't have any reason to be watching this older thing. No. I was thinking though, Seinfeld is a show I could actually play this game with. And I would love to play mm-hmm. this drinking game, even though I don't really like drinking, right. but like I would, I would drink in order to play this game because it seems like a lot of fun. <laughs> I would just have a hard time finding a group of people that would all have the same TV references. Like maybe Game of Thrones was popular enough recently that a lot of people would have familiarity with that. Maybe. People would do it with friends, I think. I couldn't, but yeah, a lot I of people could. People sure. Could, yeah. yeah. But today, today people, like, I don't know, man. I don't know, like, what the TV show is that everybody has watched. Like, that has enough episodes, too. That's not just, like, some limited, like, Netflix series or something. Wild. Anyway, so, um, yeah, Michael comes into the middle of this drinking game and he tries to fit in. He tries to, like, say an episode of the show and then Troy's like, we've already done that one. Like, Troy's against this guy, like, right from the start, right? Well, he comes in in a suit. I mean, we talked about fashion and Michael's wearing a suit the whole time. Well, except for the final scene. And it's like, why would he really go on a date in a suit? Would he really... Like, I mean, yeah, guys in the 90s would go on a date in a suit if they were professionals, of course. Today, even, too, I think. Wow. If they're going to a fancy restaurant or something. I suppose. 
I suppose, but he comes in a suit. And I like that Troy asks him if he's a collection agent. <laughs> Did the collection agents come to your house then, though? Because like, I don't like, know. Anyway, so like this does not start out well for with Troy and Michael kind of eyeing each other up. But the actual dates, like with Lelena and Michael, actually goes pretty well. I think like Lelena and Michael have really good chemistry in this date scene. Uh, and they seem like they're having a beautiful date. Like Michael is very complimentary to her, very open hearted. He says, you're very beautiful. And she blushes. When I first watched this movie, I don't think I wanted her and Michael to be like work right. out. And I was kind of, of against so. him. Yeah. Right away. I was kind of against him. I was like, I don't know if I knew that like they weren't the couple of the movie or if it, if I was having the same reaction to his suit and his whole car phone thing and his whole, you know, <laughs> yeah, yuppie thing. I probably was because car phones seemed like a yuppie kind of sellout thing back then. Right now, everybody has a phone, so it's no big deal. <laughs> yeah. I watch it now and I'm like, this is a really good date. They're getting along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same for you? Or like- yeah, sure. I think definitely going into it when it first came out, it was like, what? What's she doing with this guy? Troy's so much better. Um, but looking at it now, yeah, a lovely date. So after they're having their nice date at the restaurant, they move on to like sitting in the back of, I guess, Michael's car. And they're just talking about various things. Both of them have got big gulps from like 7-Eleven, like branded stuff. Like 7-Eleven would not allow itself to be in Heather's Winona Ryder's other movie. But now they're they're in a Winona Ryder movie. So huh. that's interesting. Yeah. And she apropos of nothing, I guess this was like something important to Helen Childress, too. I guess she was living on big gulps as well. Okay. Um, Lelena picks up her big gulp and goes to Michael. The most profound, important adventure of my lifetime, the big gulp. Because see, now listen. You get one in the morning. I'm talking 44 ouncer, not this 32 wimpy. You get one. You have your essential vitamins and nutrients for the entire day. (laughs) So I just like this line stuck out to me this time. And I'm like the most important invention of my lifetime. And I'm just like, what? Like, I would certainly not say that, but I just wanted to kind of like find out when it was actually invented. Yeah. And so I actually looked into the history of the big gulp. So like really quickly. The Big Gulp was invented um, in 1976. They started developing it. Um, Previously, they had only offered soda in 12 and 20 ounce cups at 7-Elevens. They sent these original 32 ounce cups to like one store in Orange County. And at the time, they thought they weren't really going to develop it. They thought, well, this is ridiculous. But they sent 500 cups to the store and they sold out in a week. So they're like, oh, okay, maybe we should do this. So they then branched out to test these 32 ounce cups to like additional test markets and they continued to do very well. And so they officially on the 7-Eleven website, they officially say that the big gulp started in 1980, but it had been developed earlier, but it started in 1980 and sales for fountain drinks doubled after the big gulp came in. For some reason, offering this bigger cup just made people want to buy more soda. Maybe it's the branding. Maybe it fe- people feel they're wait, getting wait, good I mean, value. I guess I've never, okay. I guess I've not frequented enough Seven Elevens in my lifetime, and had no idea what the Big Gulp was. And watching it this time, I'm like, why do they keep going on about the Big Gulp? Okay, so this is very good information <laughs> for me. But or it's like Coke. It's like soda. You can have like a variety of drinks. I think you can have like other types of drinks in it, like tea or like orange drink. I might be wrong about that. I didn't look too in depth okay. into that. It's different than a Slurpee though. Right. As far as I but know. But it's like a sugar yeah. found well, drink. Well, yeah. Lelena importantly drinks Diet Coke. <laughs> oh, 
okay. Oh my God. That is, this is. Which means she's not getting any nutrients whatsoever. Right. Like, I know. I'm like sitting here <laughs> shocked. I'm like, she's got like all kinds. Of, she's a, she's like pre-diabetic now. Like what is going on? Oh my God. I don't, I don't know if Diet Coke would give you diabetes. I think it would I, just give you like, um, like lots of water with weird chemical stuff in it. Gross. So, yeah. Gross. Yeah. But anyway, like. Nowadays, the 7-Eleven website says that there's the 32-ounce Big Gulp from 1980, then the 44-ounce, which is the one Lelena gets, is technically called a Super Big Gulp, was originated in 1983. And then there was a 64-ounce Double Gulp, which came about in 1988. And I, I also saw briefly there was something called a Team Gulp, but I couldn't find <laughs> evidence that it still exists, which is even bigger. Okay. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I assume from this that you have not had a big gulp ever. I've never had a big gulp. You? I think I have, but I don't have like, I haven't, I certainly never made it a habit. I think I probably had one like on some kind of road trip though. I have like a vague memory of maybe getting like a big gulp for like a, like a cross country road trip, you know? Okay. And maybe sharing it with someone even. Sure. Yeah. I can't conceive of, I cannot conceive of drinking one of those every day. No, my God. I can't remember the last time I even had any soda at all. Oh, yeah, I'm trying not to, but I still, I, I relapse well, now and again. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, well, anyway, neither of us think that the Big Gulp was the the most important invention of our lifetime. And for Sophia, it has been completely irrelevant. So, <laughs> yeah. But Lelena is subsisting on a diet Coke, Big Gulps, and cigarettes, apparently. Jeez. And occasional meals out with, like, uh, executives from In Your Face. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. So also on this date, um, Michael addresses his uh, yuppiedom and he says he's not materialistic. I love how he's continually in the movie. He's continually trying to distance himself from his money and his success. Like, yeah. You see this in several scenes. Mm-hmm. And in this one, he's like, and I don't want to get a big house. I just want like a nice house. I'm not into cars and stuff. I mean, I like my car. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Michael. I know. We also see this like side of him though that he's not like the cleverest guy. He he he's trying to explain to Lelena how he's cool and he's like, I'm not like that. I know why the cage bird sings and everything. Because he was in a cage and he was I don't know, he had high hopes or something. <laughs> Jeez Louise. I'm like it was painful listening to him. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Stop talking. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he's got a sweetness about him at times, you know, like he does have a sweetness about him. And I think his like his affection for Lelaine is genuine, but he just feels like he's overcompensating all like he doesn't feel like he is at all comfortable in his personhood, you know, because he is trying to be I know why the cage bird sings is like, oh, OK, uh, um. <laughs> He's trying to pose as an intellectual when he's not really an intellectual. He's trying to like yeah. seem cool enough to date Lelena, essentially, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but I've got a clip of like their date now, which shows part of the sweet part of the date. So I'm okay. going to go ahead and we'll play that. I remember being so happy on the roof of our old house, just staring up at the stars. I want to do that again. I want to just look up at the stars and take the time to smell the everything because it's like do you ever have those those moments in life where everything is okay do you know what i mean like just just for like one moment everything is great not since i graduated <laughs> no 
But yeah, yeah. When you like catch yourself in a moment and you're saying, wait, wait, I'm happy right, here in the right. moment. And then it just goes away gone. really quickly. It just, it's... I know I've had a couple of those, you know, I always forget them, but I know I've had them. Oh, me too. Like right now. <laughs> yeah, which now Yeah, the part where the they stop talking, that's when they start kissing. Mm-hmm. And um and it's a good kiss, it's I a think. Good kiss and the fumbling with the big gulps is really funny. Yeah, they're still holding these sodas and they're like trying to figure out how they can make out while still holding the sodas. I'm like, yeah. just put it in the cup holder. Maybe they didn't have cup holders. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what that fancy card didn't have a cup holder? Come on. I don't know. When did cup holders come in? I don't remember, but yeah. Oh my god, good point. I don't know. Can you imagine a vehicle without a cup holder? Where would it put Not my anymore. bottled water, for God's sake, and my coffee? <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, I think it's a good kiss. Like, I'm like, when I watched this when I was a teenager, I'm like, don't kiss him. And now I'm like, yeah, this is hot. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, even though he didn't understand like the literary reference, I'm like, I'll I'll give him that. He said she was beautiful. He's he really re- listened to her and about talk about her documentary. Mm-hmm. He talked about like catching yourself in a moment. I'm like, yeah, he's good enough. He's good. Do you agree with me? Do you think it's a good date now? Um, it, like, I don't you know. Go on a second I, date? I still. I mean, like I I appreciate it. Pretend you pretend you didn't see the rest. Okay, pretend you haven't seen the rest of the movie. And pretend you're just seeing this date just between them. Just seeing this date. I think mm, Michael Would still- you go on a second date? I don't know. I think he's still trying too hard. Like, I'm not into him, to be honest. Okay. I think he's nice. I would go on a second date. I think he's sweet, but he's just trying too hard. And I don't think I could forgive that poor literary <laughs> thing. I'd be like, Yikes. But to me, he seems like the kind of guy that like, if you like, if like, especially in the early stages of a relationship, if you're like, you need to read this book, he would read it for you. That's mm. what I feel like. I feel like he'd be the kind of guy who'd be like, oh, I want to learn and I want to like mm. grow. And like, so if you gave him a bunch of your books, he might read them. He's not pretending that he like knows so much more than Lelena. You know what I mean? Like, so I feel like, okay, okay. like he, he has potential. You know what I mean? Like, okay. And, and they seem to have chemistry and he's like sweet to her. And mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm just kind of like, Yeah. I would go on that second date. Now, what happens later in the movie, we'll have to talk about later. But like mm-hmm. right now, the Michael that we see in the movie right there, I'm like, I'm with it. Okay. <laughs> I'm not into the suit. I'm not into, I'm not quite there. I'm not there. I appreciate things, but I'm not quite there. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, and then, you know, we see them making out with their big gulps. Troy walks by and he sees them and they obviously don't see him. They're busy. So um, (laughs) this is where like in the story thus far, what I've seen of Lelena and Troy, what I've seen of Michael, this moment here, you I'm like, Oh no, Troy sees it. He's sad and jealous. That's how I felt when I was younger. That's not how I feel now. (laughs) (laughs) So we get into the next scene. We've got jealous Troy, sad, jealous Troy. Elena comes home and he's, he's singing baby. I love your way in a mocking way. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say sad, more like asshole, like jealous asshole. (laughs) 
But he's really sad, though. He is sad, He though, is inside. Like, inside, but he's being such a jerk. We're like, you're not a nice guy. Why are we rooting for you? I know why we root for him. Why? Way at the end. Way at the but end. But why are we rooting for, him, rooting for him at the beginning? Because we were. We were rooting for him at the beginning of this movie, too, when we watched it. Let's be clear. Like, because... Uh, is it the bone structure? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Um, uh, because he's with her at dinner with her parents because they have that fun scene that she's filming and they're talking and he's eating the brownies, you know, and they're laughing and shoving brownies in each other's face. That's why. I, I think it's because we all, like, so a lot of us wanted the cool, aloof genius guy, even okay, if he wasn't very nice. Fine, us. fine. Maybe that's too. <laughs> I think there was like a thing for that cool, aloof genius guy in the 90s. And you're like, Mm -hmm. even if he was a little bit of like a jerk. Yeah. Unfortunately. So Lena is like, you know, whatever. Because he's he's singing the song and being all mocky, whatever. And he's like, I just would have liked to have been there to watch you rationalize sleeping with a yuppie head cheese ball on your first date. And she's like, he's not a yuppie. And this is a great line. Troy goes, he's the reason why cliff notes were invented. That is a great line. And I think fair for Michael too. Yeah. Fair from a fair fair critique of Michael on that in that part. Like I like, did they actually sleep together even though, like in that convertible outside somebody's house, like where anybody could see though? I kind of doubt it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah, he still makes his point. Like he thinks Michael's like, you know, beneath her, not like a great guy. But he doesn't say he's beneath you. He just likes he basically he doesn't admit that this is because he cares about Lena. He just right. makes it about how this guy sucks. And like, I can't believe you did that or whatever. Yeah. And she points out, why are you acting like a jealous boyfriend all of a sudden? And then, oh my God, this killed me. Like when I first saw this movie, I can remember actually believing that he was really doing this. When I first saw the movie, Troy walks up to her and takes Lena's face in his hands. And he says, really seriously, I am really in love with you. And then for a moment, you're like, oh, shit, he's already saying he's in love with her. It's the beginning of the movie. But then <laughs> he bursts out laughing and says, is that what you want to hear? Is it? Well, don't flatter yourself. And Lelena says, go to hell. Yeah, that's the right thing to say. And as a viewer, I'm taking on the journey with Lelena because like, yeah. I believe that this is happening at first. I'm like, oh, my God, yes. So you're going to get together? Yeah. And then it's like, no. Oh, my God. You just rejected her so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. If he hadn't laughed, what do you think she would have said? Do you think she would have been like, finally? Or would she have been like, no? What do you? Because she just like had this great date with this like guy that she seems interested in. I always wonder, you know. I think she would have gone for him because, okay, and this is not a spoiler because this isn't going to be in the spoiler section because there's a later scene where Ethan Hawke really does like uh, uh-huh. come on to her. And for a moment, she does go with it. Right. But then she does say that she's with Michael. Right. But, but this is after he's done this thing to her. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like uh, this is a moment. Uh-huh, with, uh-huh. You know what I mean? This is after he's faked her out. Right. right. Where he's been such a jerk to her. If he had like really like just bared his soul like right then and there, yeah, I think she might have gone with him. I think she was teetering as it was later, mm-hmm. but at the later point, she'd had a little more time to be with Michael, and he'd had he'd done this jerky thing, right? So we're now going to talk a little bit more about Vicky. 
now that she's managing at the Gap, yeah. um, we find out that she's been really good at her job and sales have gone up. But she's got another pressing concern, which we already mentioned a little bit. Yeah, she uh, finds out that a friend tested positive for AIDS. And so this is one of the shots where it's Lelena filming. And, yeah. you know, we see it from that camcorder perspective. They're at the free clinic AIDS test. And Vicky says the rite of passage of our generation. Was it? Is it? I've probably had two different, no, probably more. I've only had one AIDS test where I was like really kind of like worried, like where I I almost always had like safe sex, but like there can be accidents even when you're having safe sex, you know? So like even with a condom, it can break and so forth. So I had to take an AIDS test and just, you know, hope for the best. Like I didn't have reason to think that the person, you know, I'd been with uh-huh. and had AIDS, but like, it's still like, it can be frightening, you know, uh-huh. to go in for that test. So anyway, Vicky gets this test and then there's a later scene where we see her and Lelena in a diner, which is a really cool diner. I couldn't find out what diner it was, unfortunately. But anyway, she's telling Lelena how freaked out she is. And I want to read this part if it's, if Do it's it. okay with you. Do she it. says, You don't understand. Every day, all day, it's all that I think about, okay? Every time I sneeze, it's like I'm four sneezes away from the hospice. And it's like it's not even happening to me. It's like I'm watching it on some crappy show like Melrose Place or some shit, right? And I'm the new character, the HIV AIDS character, and I live in the building and I teach everybody, it's okay to be near me, it's okay to talk to me, and then I die. And there's everybody at my funeral wearing halter tops and chokers or some shit like that. I really appreciate and like I love the way that Lelena's like, we're going to get through this together, like everything. And I know that Vicky says it's not like everything before. And, she, and you know, Lelena's like, I know, but we're going to get through it. Like, I love, I love the friendship. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And she says, and she makes sure Vicky knows she's not alone. Yeah. Yeah. And that they're in yeah. it together. But then she says a really funny line <laughs> Melrose Place is a really good show. And then, <laughs> and then they laugh. I think it's like, even though I never watched Melrose Place, I kind of know what kind of show it was. So like the joke oh. was still funny. For sure. For sure. Total drama. So eventually, um, Vicky does test negative for HIV AIDS. But like, you know, it was a pretty big concern. Like even though AIDS was like more prevalent in the gay community, in the mm-hmm. 80s, from the 80s through the year 2000, the percentage of AIDS cases in women did increase. Mm-hmm. So according to the CDC, from 1993 to 1995, around the time of this movie, there were about 45,000 women with AIDS in the U.S., and it was about 17.6% of the total cases. Mm-hmm. So it's And it's really important for women to be cognizant you know, of their sexual health and to make sure they're having safe sex, like not just to prevent pregnancy, but also to prevent STDs as well. And yeah, that just remains relevant. And it's not just the US we have to think about too. Like, I know we have some global listeners. Mm -hmm. Um, Hello to all our global listeners. And globally, HIV and AIDS is an even greater concern for women because worldwide, uh, women and girls make up 53% of HIV cases. And out of a total of 37.7 million people living with AIDS today. So just like keep that in mind. Make sure you're protecting your health as best as you can. And I know for there's many, unfortunately, many women 
you know, globally are also raped or in positions where they're not able to protect their sexual mm -hmm. health. And this is still something we need to work on as a global community today to help women have sexual health and safety. Yes. Yes. Mm. Don't get me okay. started. Yeah. <laughs> I'll turn into a rage machine. I'm like, yeah. Anyway. So um, moving on, uh, we are going to talk about now about Lelena getting fired and her job hunt journey. You know, she came to the host of, of the show that she works for, Good Morning Grant. She went to him with her tapes of her documentary and wanted to, you know, see if she could show it on the Good Morning Grant show. And he's like, no, it's garbage. It's, it's depressing garbage. You know me, I'm light and sunny. And it's like, you're so mean. And then there seems to be some producer on the show who is, he tries to go to bat for her and be like, this is really great stuff. And then she is standing outside the door and she can hear Grant saying he wants to get rid of her. And he says, uh, having to look at that girl's pointy little face all day would make me ill. So she sabotages him and it's fantastic. She <laughs> um, gives him his cue cards because apparently he can't do, he doesn't do any of his own research and he, she gives him the questions to ask. And on these cue cards, it's um, it implies that he's a pedophile and his, audience of old women are just in <laughs> shock and then there's a fantastic shot of all of these older ladies with their you know jaws to the floor so she she gets fired so after this Lelena comes home and vicky offers her a job at the gap and Lelena sort of politely rejects it at first but then all of a sudden comes out with i'm not going to work at the gap for christ's sake okay and vicky is understandably offended but right. at the same time, I understand why Lelena would want to work in her field, too. So, Yes, yes. I feel like when I was younger, I had these dream jobs. I had zero understanding of like <laughs> living on my own and paying bills and stuff like that. It's like work is good and um, wherever you can get it. So, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I remember being idealist. This is what I think is interesting about this scene. First of all, Troy and Sammy are there too. Like, I just mm -hmm. think that they're always there. Um, yeah. Troy is kind of living there and Sammy's just always there too. So it's this whole, Lelena even says we need to have a family meeting. And I think I love that. I love this little family unit. And yeah. as soon as the girls like Vicky storms off and Lelena follows, Troy is already standing up and like right behind them because he's there to, he takes Lelena's bag and puts it over his own shoulder. You know, like I, I just was like, Oh, he loves her. He's going to be there to like pick up the pieces of her sad day. And, and that's what they do. They go for a walk in this next scene. Troy, it takes Lane on a walk and it's supposed to be like a tour of places he was fired from. He eventually tells her he's fired from 12 jobs, but what's coming up, maybe my most favorite line in the film actually oh yeah. yeah i like it too i think it's the same one so yeah yeah, yeah. um well you know troy believes in lelena's dreams which i love as well and he believes that she's going to succeed but she's going to forget about him and you know they're joking around and she's like troy who and he says you see laney this is all we need a couple of smokes a couple of coffee and a little bit of conversation you and me and five bucks and she says you got it and then uh, Troy takes this uh, 
I mean, it seems opportune in one sense, and it seems very inopportune in another sense. He takes this opportunity to kiss Lilena, and I it, it seemed like a pretty good kiss, but like she was in more of like a "you got it" mood. You know what I mean? Right. right. <laughs> she she wasn't really like soft and romantic and melting. You know? Right. Right. She was more of a best friends kind of vibe. And he kisses her and it's this passionate kiss, but it's just not really the right time. She like is in it briefly, but then she pulls away quickly and like clearly conflicted. And Troy says, oh, well, I just I wanted to evolve. And she says, I can't evolve right now. And it turns out like that part of the reason at least is Michael. Yeah. But I've got to think, too, though, she's got in mind that thing where he was like, oh, I'm so in love with you. And then he took it back because how Mm. could you not have that Mm -hmm. in mind? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Troy. Troy. <laughs> but meanwhile, Lelena is still with Michael and we see them together. And he's saying that he wants to take her documentary tapes to in your face to the network to show them around and says that her work is really fantastic. So, you know, Lelena's lost her job. Michael wants to take her tapes. And in the meantime, she is looking for a job. And the montage and the interviews are something, something else. First, we see Andy Dick, who, again, was in the Ben Stiller show with Ben Stiller. And he's sitting in this room, like, with all these videotapes. And, like, I think there's, like, somebody, like, lifting weights in some video or something. So the Andy Dick character says, I want you to make copies for me. Lots of copies. And he kind of sucks his teeth a little bit. And Lelaine is like, oh, is this, like, a pirating gig? And he goes... Do I look like a pirate to you? Very funny. <laughs> Very funny. Yeah. It was a good cameo. Yeah. yeah. And then she gets rejected from a second job, which is a radio DJ job. But then she goes to the news- a newspaper and um, Ben Stiller's mom, Ann Mira, plays the woman who rejects her at this job. The woman is like very doubtful about Lelena. Like, why do you suddenly want to switch to print journalism? Lelaine is making up a bunch of reasons why it would be a good place. Like it's the guardian of our democracy and all this stuff. And then the woman looks at her and says, define irony. And just like most of us mortals, Lelaine is kind of stumbling over it and being like, irony, it's a noun. It's uh, it's when something's ironic. And she's like, well, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. And at this <laughs> point she's already in an elevator and as the woman sadly shakes her head at her, the elevator starts going down. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm okay. But my quibble with this is why would this be the qualification for working at a newspaper? I'm sorry. But like when, especially when you're like an entry level position at a newspaper, you're not usually doing so much writing as you're doing, like calling people up on the phone, fact checking, maybe doing some like copy editing, but like how much, how often is irony coming up? Yeah. Yeah. We find out the actual definition of irony later when Lena goes to commiserate with Troy about her job hunt. Troy immediately defines it. It's when the actual meaning is the complete opposite from the literal meaning. And I wouldn't have been able to spit that out. I'm sorry. Would you know that definition off the top of your head? No, I'd be like, I recognize it when I see it, (laughs) just like Lena. Yeah, and I double-checked the definition from the... I'm not going to go through all the definitions from the dictionary, but I did double-check, and, like, Troy's definition matches up with the actual definitions given, which there are actually several different types of irony, I guess. Dramatic irony, Socratic irony, but, yeah, the basic basic one is what Troy said, basically, so... 
So Troy does know the definition of irony and Lelena is suitably impressed and she wants to talk to Troy about her job hunt woes, but Troy is not interested in talking to Lelena right now after she has rejected him romantically. And Mm -hmm. I kind of get that, but it's also sad. Yeah. I think it's perfect for his character. I think his character would embrace the rejection and like wallow in it for a while and maybe Mm. write a song with his, you know, (laughs) hey, that's my bike, that kind of thing. Like it's, I think it's perfect for his personality, but part of me is like, he really timed it poorly and like, uh, what were you thinking? What were you expecting? So she's with somebody else right now that, yeah, like get over yourself. I don't know. Okay, so Lelena still needs a job, though, and but she tries to first get some, borrow some money from her mom, and her mom recommends that she go work at some kind of fast food place, and eventually we do see her interviewing at a fast food place. Lelena interviews at this place called Wiener Schnitzel, and um, David Spade is playing like the manager, and he takes his job very seriously. And he's like, "There's <laughs> yeah. a reason I've been manager for two months." You know, and which is like, I think it was okay. six months actually. Six but- months, okay. <laughs> yeah. It was not a lot of time, but he thinks it's awesome and uh you know he's telling her like you got orders coming at you and you've got people in the front people in the back and as he's doing this and they're going around the kitchen he has this great line where he goes to a guy who's just standing around you got time to lean you got time to clean buddy all right and he hands him a (laughs) broom and it's like (laughs) i I feel like i heard people saying that in in jobs in customer service jobs when i was working them in the 90s and i don't know if like that was a saying that was in the air already or if it was from this movie you know what i mean yeah what i I find brilliant about this is that it captures two things about working in like fast food or customer service jobs like one side of it is that like it is actually a challenging job and like i don't think lane is prepared for that and david spade like throws these numbers at her and says add them real fast because you used to have to be able to do math in your head right to make change and stuff like that sure sure and like she can't do it at all and also like there's a lot going on in a fast food job or any of these kind of jobs so it captures that side of it like hey these are real jobs but the other side of it is like that people in these jobs like will sometimes take them way too seriously and have their like little like tin pot dictatorships like the david spade character (laughs) and just it just be like really hardcore and that was such a true thing about working in the movie theater jobs or like the ice cream shop job I worked, things like that. Like, yeah. Yeah. So this really resonated with me. Like I don't, when I first saw the movie, I don't think I'd worked those jobs yet, but after I started working them, I'm like, Oh yes, I recognize this whole deal. Okay. So after being rejected by the, even the humble Wiener schnitzel, uh, Lelena has a bit of a breakdown and she just, retreats to the couch and starts watching TV 24-7, starting with watching In Your Face. But then inevitably she ends up watching advertisements for the Psychic Discovery Network with their 1-900 number. Like, I don't know, is this a thing that people know about anymore these days? Like that there used to be all these 1-900 numbers on TV that you could call and like talk to like a real psychic or talk or like other ones, like loved ones where you talk to like interested singles, allegedly, right. you know? Right. Like, um, I don't think so because it's like that's gone. You don't do that anymore. You like have an app. There are online psychics, I guess. Yeah. I'm sure there are. It's a very time capsule piece, a, a moment yeah. in this film. Yeah, so Lelena ends up calling, though, this psychic hotline. Like, and what were they like? They were a ridiculous amount of money per minute. Yes. I can't remember what it was. Like, really expensive. Yeah. And 
event and she's on the phone with a psychic person and invariably it goes from her being, you know, informed about her problems to her trying to counsel the psychic herself about their problems. <laughs> you have to go to him and tell him how you feel. Yeah, I suppose you're right. Like on the other line, it's like, oh man. <laughs> yeah. And she is found in this state and Vicky presents Lelena with a 400 and some dollar phone bill from calling the psychic networks upon which Lelena quickly hangs up the phone. And Vicky's line, all you do is lay around here in your pajamas and couch. I really like that as a verb. You just couch. And then her her line, man, you are in the bell jar. That's pretty great. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) From the Sylvia Plath book, The Bell Jar, just in case, just so people know the reference. Yeah. Lelena now needs a solution to this like phone bill on top of not having a job. So she tries to now get money from her dad. And her dad says this line that really could be said now, like this is the type of thing people would say about millennials now or write articles about now, says, I'll tell you the problem with your generation. You don't have any work ethic. And um, he points out also that Troy didn't take an interview at the plant that Lelena had set up for him. And the dad tells her he's not going to help her right now. She should, quote, show some ingenuity. (laughs) And um, well, she she, does. She sure does. So there's a whole montage now where Lelena figures out that she can use her dad's gas card to pay for other people's gas. I think she starts with like Sammy. She starts with a friend and then they give her cash in exchange. I'm assuming they'd probably give her like slightly less cash than what the gas cost because otherwise I don't know how she's getting all these people to agree to put their gas on her card. You know, I don't know. When I watched this when I was younger, I was just purely on her team and I was like, go you. And now when I watch it, I'm kind of like, oh, like part of me feels like that is kind of shitty to do to your father. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you come down on it? Like then and now? Um, Yeah, like this part speaks to her being taken care of and a little out of touch because he's going to find out eventually. Like, what is she going to say to him? I, she knows she's going to be bailed out and safe, you know? Mm-hmm. Um. But all I could think was like, geez, Winona Ryder's so beautiful in this scene. She's got <laughs> that red tank and her this jeans and this beautiful red lips. And I'm like, dude, you're so hot. So she's forgiven everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I Yeah, I'm sure. Fine. I mean, uh, yeah, of course, it's a shitty thing to do to your dad. I guess like I, I think it's very clever. It's a clever plot twist. Mm-hmm. It's hard, like, and I know that there are times when there there aren't jobs, like, but like, honestly, like, people who have college degrees usually have a much higher advantage in terms of getting jobs, especially young, attractive people with college degrees. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. she could have gotten a job somewhere, probably. I mean, yeah. she could have just begged Vicky to be like, "Please forgive me and like let me work at the Gap." So, which right. apparently, okay, apparently in the original cut of the movie, you do see Lelena taking a job with Vicky at the Gap. Yeah, and that's and that's why she's wearing like gap like clothes in one of the yep. scenes. Yeah. So um, after she gets this money, she brings a shoebox full of cash to to Vicky. It looks like she's paying bills. Sammy's there again. He doesn't live there, but he's there paying the bills too. And and Vicky's like, "That's great. Now rent's due." And you know, Lelena's yeah. distraught. And then in walks. Troy with a girl and he hasn't been home he hasn't been there where he's supposed to be staying for like 
a week and um, Lelena and Troy get into it. She starts cutting into him like, who, you know, who's this and what if, what have you been doing and why won't, you know, you go to your interviews and he's like, Oh, I didn't have daddy's little gas card. And you know, she gets pissed and they're just cutting into each other. And it's a symptom of what they're really not saying. Yeah. I really like Troy's line here um, to Lelena when he talks about why he's not going to the interview he says, what is it you want from me? You want me to get a job on the line for the next 20 years until I'm granted leave with my gold-plated watch and my balls full of tumors because I surrendered the one thing that means shit to me? Well, honey, you can just exhale because it's not going to happen, not in this lifetime. I think like um, the writer Helen Childress said that she thought that seemed really dramatic in retrospect, but I, mm. I totally, you know, I totally get, I think it's good. I think it like really gets like, like what it feels like to be asked to take a job that's so antithetical to what you believe in when you have a passion, mm-hmm. you know, and Troy's yeah. passion is his, is his music. And when you're young and full of like idealism, like to be asked to like, let that go, that's what that feels like. And, and he has a point too, because a lot of these jobs like are very damaging to people. I don't know For if that's sure. the source of his dad's cancer that his mm. dad's dealing with, but mm-hmm. yeah, but he's clearly Troy has seen some shit. So Elena is like responding to his big, you know, passionate outburst. And she says, well, if you're going to be in this band, you've got to, you should work harder. She Mm -hmm. says, don't just dick around the same coffee house for five years. You better do it now and you better do it fast because the world doesn't owe you any favors. And I was like, damn, I need her to like yell at me Mm -hmm. about my screenplay sometime. Yeah. Our friends who are comics, some, somewhere somebody got some advice and heard it's like the people that are famous comics that you know it's because they stuck with it for years and that that's the reason why you know them because they did the stand up the open mics and they toured and blah 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 and did all the crap for a long time and everybody yeah. else dropped out you know well, it's one piece of that and it's one piece of luck too i think because I yeah think you do need a little bit of luck and or yes. connections in yeah. addition to the hard work but yeah without the mm-hmm. hard work i think it can be very difficult Unless you're born into a famous family or something. 100. Yeah. 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 Sure. So um, moving along, um, Lelena is out with Vicky at a coffee house when she gets the news that her tapes have sold to In Your Face TV. Michael is calling her on a weird old cell phone from inside a phone booth, which they actually point out in the movie, which is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're caught in this funny intersection of like uh, technology where you had both payphones and cell phones around at the same time. Man, yeah. I love growing up in the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> but also, what I love is that Lelena doesn't have a cell phone. He's called the cafe where they're at, and they yeah. page her, and then she takes the phone call. Do you remember having that done too? Like, yes, I I remember that that is a thing that could happen, but it never happened to me. Yeah, and while they're on the phone, um, Michael bursts out, um, I love you, to Lelena without meaning to. And I thought that was really sweet, too. Like, that gives me another point for Michael when I'm watching it now, when I watch it now. But um, Lelena does not, in fact, say, I love you back. But she says, you amaze me, because he said, you amaze me to her. So (laughs) any more about that? Nope. Okay. Oh, I love this scene. So this is one of my favorite little bits in the movie. There's not nearly enough Sammy in the movie, by the way. I agree. Didn't notice it before. Now I'm like, geez. Hey. Yeah. Sammy slash Steve Zahn is one of the best parts of the movie. 
but there's like so little of him. He does a lot with his part, like with his background reactions and everything too. But mm-hmm. like, yeah, a hundred percent. If this were made today, Samu would get a much bigger role. Mm-hmm. At the time that it came out, it was good to have like a gay character in the movie. Period. But now it just seems kind of paltry in terms of what kind of you know what he gets to do. Mm-hmm. But um, in this in the scene that I really like, Sammy and Vicky are doing a skit about Sammy's upcoming coming out to his mom. And he's talking about the organization P flag. And like, uh, <laughs> he goes up to, he goes like, they're doing this for Lilina's camera. And he goes up to uh, Vicky and he goes, I am a homosexual. <laughs> and then Vicky goes, Oh Christ. <laughs> and this Midwestern accent, yeah. like, Oh Christ. <laughs> yep. Is, is there a support group that I can join to help me come to terms with my own homophobia? <laughs> we should have done this every rom-com theater, but I don't have all the like lines. That's okay. And he says, yes, there is a group that is named P-Flag. And she goes, P-Flag. I thought that was cute. Yeah, I'm beginning to like the sound of that. <laughs> Aww. I love this so much because, like, Janine Garofalo's Midwestern mom accent is just fucking perfect. Yep. And, yep. yeah. Yeah, it's very it's very charming little, little interaction. And then we cut from this skit, this pre-reenactment to, like, Sammy sitting on the front lawn of his house and his mom's in the house behind him pacing back and forth. And he gives this whole speech about how he has been celibate because... He hasn't been out, and so he's felt weird about dating. I want to be in there too. I want to feel miserable and happy and all of that. I mean, I want to, I want to be let back in the house. It's, it's sad. I wanted to tell a little bit about PFLAG um, mm-hmm. too, in terms of its history, really quick. So I went to the PFLAG website because I was curious how long they'd been an organization, and apparently the idea started in 1972 when a person named Jean Manford marched with her son, Morty, in New York's Christopher Street Liberation Day March, the precursor to today's Pride Parade. Hmm. And this is all a quote from the website. After many gay and lesbian people ran up to Jean during the parade and begged her to talk to their parents, she decided to begin a support group. And they had their first meeting of the group, March 11th, 1973, in a Greenwich Village Methodist church. And then similar groups started forming all around the country, And in 1981, there was a national PFLAG organization formed. And throughout the 80s, they worked um, to counter Anita Bryant's anti-gay campaigns. And they also worked to prevent lesbians from being discharged from the military. Mm. And then in the 90s, they worked on protecting gay and lesbian students from harassment at school. And in 1998, added transgender people to their mission as well. And right now there are more than 400 chapters in the United States. So PFLAG is still going strong. So I thought that was pretty cool. That is very cool. I think this movie is the first time I uh, heard about PFLAG as an organization. And it was one of the first times I saw like kind of a coming out narrative in a, in a mainstream film, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe the first time I saw one in a mainstream film and not an indie film. How about yourself? I, I don't remember at all. But I just, I, I remember being pretty touched by it personally. Those things weren't quite on my radar when we were teenagers. Still liked Sammy. Yeah. <laughs> um, But like, yeah, that's, that was to the extent of my, 
emotional investment at like you were there you 15. were there for the the love story yes the yeah. hetero love story yes i mean sammy's not really given that. a love story i mean he get, he's given like a moment at one point but like right such a you blink and you miss it moment so yeah 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 so we are now going to enter the spoiler section so if you haven't seen reality bites get yourself a copy of it whether on streaming or from the library or what have you like check out this movie and come back and join us again okay so now we come to Lelena and michael are going to go to a party for her documentary but before they go to the party for the her documentary being sold to in your face there is a showdown between troy and michael and i'm going to play a clip of that that we can then discuss Hi. Hi. <laughs> what happened to your normal clothes wow Elena, look at you you look where'd you get that dress oh um i don't know i just bought it but I think I'm going to go change. Cause no, don't. You look beautiful. You you look like... You look like a doily. I'm going to change. No, don't change. And don't go thinking for yourself either, Lainey. Hey, what is your glitch, huh? My glitch? You know what? We're already... No, 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 Stepped over some line in the sands of coolness with you because because no, no no excuse me if somebody doesn't know the secret handshake with you. There's no secret handshake. There's an IQ prerequisite, but there's no secret handshake. I this Come is on. you this no is really this guy you you know you got like this whole like thing with the world don't you this huh really boy no no that's okay? great this that's really, really wonderful but guess what I'm a human being okay we're human beings people okay. You know, we're not like uh, uh, intelligence, you know, quotations or whatever. Just ignore him. No. Done. Come on, let's go. You don't need this. You don't know what she needs. I think I know what she needs in a way that you never will. It's a great scene. It's a funny scene. There's some great lines. Did I cross some line in the sands of coolness? Like, brilliant. Because I really, because that's exactly how Troy is acting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, he's just too cool and mm-hmm. being a real dick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's part of me that finds Troy funny here. Like, there's an IQ yes. prerequisite, but there's no secret handshake. Like, part of me is yeah. like, oh, you really got him on that one. But another part of me is like, no, that's horrible. Like, mm-hmm. I think Troy's the kind of guy that if he's on your side, you feel like extra cool. You know, you feel like, yeah. oh, this cool guy has acknowledged me and like wants to hang out with me. But if you're not, if he's not on your side, he would be like your nemesis. You, you would not be able to stand him. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. So she's wearing a dress. Do you think she looks good or do you think she looks, as Troy says, like a doily? Like a doily. And (laughs) I've never liked it. Yeah. I think it's completely unflattering. That was a very kind of popular style, like that kind of white lace kind of like pretty girl like like dress. But yes, she does kind of look like a doily. And like I give points to Troy there because I want my friends or love interests to tell me the truth, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If If I look silly. But at the same time, is Troy doing this out of the goodness of his heart, or is he just trying to rain on her parade? So, yeah. Oh, right. I think rain on her parade. I think he totally hates Michael with Lelena, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's that kind of angle. 
So who so knows? So what do you think about that line? You don't know what she needs. I think I know what she needs in a way that you never will. Think I think that? they're both right. <laughs> mm. And we're going to see yeah. that play out. I mean, we're in the spoiler section, so we can talk about this. Uh, yeah. We're going to see that play out in this immediate next scene because Michael doesn't get certain things about Lolena and her art. And she and he seems kind of incapable of getting them, at least initially. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, Troy doesn't isn't able to express himself well emotionally mm-hmm. and connect with Lelena emotionally in a, in a way that is healthy. So they both mm-hmm. have a piece of what she needs and they both are missing something that she needs. Mm. Perfectly said. So we are, we are now at the documentary series showing and it is a disaster. Oh, 100%. Well, it's called reality bites, which is funny. Which is great. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it opens with some of the same footage as the movie does of the graduation scene, yeah. but there's these lots of fast cuts. There's this like this silly little like animation, really cheesy, really meant for like gags and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it puts it all in perspective of like relationships the way they cut it you know like romantic relationships and who's getting with who and that's absolutely not the point that Lelaine is trying to make and as the, as it's getting on and getting worse and worse she's getting more and more exasperated yeah it takes all these like so the brilliance of this is that we've already seen all the longer versions of these edited chunks like we've mm-hmm. seen um, Vicky tell us a longer story about her parents' marriage and mm-hmm. and Troy tell us a longer story and now it's giving us just like a one sentence snippet of this and then mm-hmm. make it in, into a joke instead like yeah. with some stock footage and like some music to make it humorous or whatever and it's yeah. not even funny really you know it's no. like this is one of the brilliant things that Ben Stiller does. He's a very, um, I mean, this was probably in the script too, to be honest. So I'm not going to like give him all the credit for this, but he's very good at observing the media environment in a lot of his movies. And on the Ben Stiller show, he observes what media is doing and he really got what reality TV was doing and what MTV was doing at the time, which Mm -hmm. is just making these fast frivolous cuts, like putting everything into like these tiny bites of like nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. Lelina gives her work over to these people and it comes back like mangled. Would that stuff even be retrievable in any way? Or is it like gone? Like in that video editing era? Oh, back in the day? Yeah, it was video editing, you know, so I wonder. We don't know. We don't know if she's able to like salvage her stuff or not. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope she can. But actually, I think she can because then Michael later proposes that they do her edit. So they must be able to salvage it. Some back. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like he comes over. He comes over, and he's like, he gets, he gets, sees her in that scene, and he's like, "Let's go right. to New York, and we're gonna like get it done our way and stuff like that." But in this moment, um, Lelena is just telling him off. Basically, she says, yeah. "They cut up everything that meant anything to me. I mean, I don't even think you realize what you've done. You don't get it. You just don't get it." And this is the moment where like Michael is not the one for her. Like, right. Cause he doesn't Bad. really appear to get it in the moment. He's, he's calls her, she compares her work to meatloaf and the audience to these kids. And we have to spoon feed the meatloaf to them. And like, here comes the plane. And it's like clear that like, as much as he said, he enjoys her work. He doesn't really understand its value or see that it would appeal to people, you know, mm-hmm. uh-huh. or he's Ooh. more interested in justifying what happened to it than in understanding Lelena's pain anyway. Yeah. 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 But this is like the moment where I'm like, okay, when you see the documentary, then I'm like, 
all the all the feeling that Lelena should be with Michael kind of evaporates for me. I'm like, oh, if he can watch this and not be like disgusted by it also, he right. has a fundamentally different like vision of the world of art of yeah. you know something yeah. that means so much to Lelena, something that's like her soul. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is um just really quickly, like this um this scene is posited as like um, Michael introduces the the video as we're entering a new phase here at the channel, real programming. And this movie, in fact, came out at the time that MTV was entering a new phase of real programming. This was the early days of reality TV with the real world on MTV. And the real world aired on MTV from 1992 to 2017. Um, The creators of it said that it was inspired by the 1973 PBS documentary, An American Family. But interestingly, apparently there was a eerily similar Dutch show called Numer 28, which aired in 1991 and was like the first um, reality show to film strangers living together and to use a mix of real life events and like confessionals where people like talk to the camera about the events. Hmm. So like, I'm kind of inclined to believe that maybe somebody saw the Dutch show. Yeah. I bet you they saw the show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the Dutch show was created by somebody named Eric Latour just to like give him some Give him some credit there. But The Real World was created by Mary Ellis Bunham, I think is how you pronounce her name, and Jonathan Murray. And originally they were going to have it as a scripted show, but they changed to a reality program so they could have a cheaper budget. And the tagline is, this is the true story of seven strangers picked to live in a house, work together, and have their lives taped to find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. The Real World. And just reading that, I remember watching it when I was younger. Do you think you watched like the be- the first season or maybe the second or third? Or I think, oh, I, didn't, I, been- think I didn't tap in until the second or third season. Yeah, it wasn't until I was in college. When did it come out? 92? Yeah, I didn't have like cable at home. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until I was in college where I had multiple channels. And that's when I got to see reruns. and So like you know, 96 or something. Yeah. 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 So the first season was um, in New York and 500, only 500 people applied. Can you imagine? Only 500 people applied. <laughs> and they were, and they wow. were paid 2,600 a person. And I'm assuming also room and board probably, but like, yeah, 2,600 a person. Um, the third season is one that was, became really famous. It was in San Francisco. It featured the story of Pedro Zamora, who is an activist living with AIDS And he was a very inspirational figure at the time. And as of 1995, the real world became MTV's highest rated show. So everyone like old people like us, (laughs) will talk about the days when MTV used to play music. Well, that was mostly before 1995 when MTV realized they could make a lot more, get a lot more viewers out of like making these reality programs. Reality TV and the real world have been incredibly influential Um, Matthew Gilbert of the Boston Globe said the real world led to the creation of an entire new genre, one that has changed the nature of privacy, fame and TV. It is the show that spawned almost every reality TV convention we now take for granted from the ever present cameras and fourth wall confessionals to the glitzy home design and the editing room shaping of quote unquote storyline. Gilbert also pointed out the MTV show was a natural extension of the camcorder revolution of the 1980s, as young people grew up more accustomed to and desirous of being filmed. Of Hmm. course, like now that seems kind of quaint because now 
kids grow up with smartphones filming each other, putting themselves on TikTok. It's like compared mm-hmm. to a camcorder, I think like we're much more filmed and surveilled and like our images put out there now, you know? Yeah. It's so wild. I mean, it's like so you were wild. saying, your your daughter's like practicing making YouTube videos in the house. Yep. Yep. Wants to have a little vlog. <laughs> But reality TV, um, of course, the real world then led to things like in the 2000s, shows like Big Brother, Survivor, American Idol were some of the most popular ones. And there's so many today. I just can't even I can't even begin with them. You know what I mean? Uh So do you you what's your so what's your opinion of reality TV? Do you think it's um, has any positives? Is it do you have a generally positive or negative impression of it? Like, do you watch it? And do you have any favorites? I don't. I don't really watch it. Um, I I know of Big Brother. I know of Survivor. I know of American Idol. I think I would watch American Idol um, mm. because you get to like see people sing and whatnot. Yeah. But like, um, I suppose like yeah, following people on YouTube and like I don't know. There's this one dude who like you know does like thirty days of no sugar, thirty days of um, being vegan, and like just you know him and his family like doing these things why is that entertaining like it's like what is it voyeurism and just like peering into other people's lives and being like what do you do what do you do it's kind of interesting but also like i don't know turn it off and go do something on your own (laughs) so you're kind of watching the next wave more you're watching like people on youtube making their own things that are kind of an offshoot of reality tv in a sense yeah yeah, yeah, probably more of that. That's more accessible to me. I definitely have watched a lot of reality TV. Like I watched it back when it was first coming out. I didn't watch Big Brother Survivor. I did watch American mm-hmm. Idol, but like I've watched a lot of the dating shows because I'm a sucker for dating shows. I've watched oh, yeah, pretty much what? all the Love Islands. I've watched the British Love Islands, the Australian <laughs> Love Islands. I started watching a little of the American one. Honestly, I like the British and Australian ones better. Watch Terrace House on Netflix, which is a Japanese real world, basically, which I like better than the American one also. And then there's like stuff that you wouldn't necessarily think of as reality TV, but it but it is like Victorian Farm and Edwardian Farm are these like historians Mm -hmm. going to like reenact living like what it was like to live in Victorian times. And they're like really farming and really like putting together this farmhouse. That's love. I think is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But that's also reality TV. It's using the conventions of reality TV to make people interested in like Victorian history, you know, or like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Or or they have a world war two farm too. And they show like what it was like Mm -hmm. to have to have these um, rations and, and these kind of deprivations during the war in Britain. Mm. And you learn so much, but they're feeding it to you. They're kind of feeding it to you. Like you're, they're making your meatloaf a little more appetizing, I guess, but without the super quick cuts, you know? Okay. I think that's like, that's like learning. That's informative. That's history. And you're like, Oh wow. Okay. Um, I don't know. Just like, watching the desperate housewives like bitch at each other and like <laughs> I, like i don't the kardashians yeah, never do seen those, any of that you know what I, I don't but the desperate housewives you're thinking of the the real housewives you're not thinking of the desperate the real housewives, housewives see, <laughs> see? Yeah. desperate real i don't know what they are yeah yeah so for me like i like watching reality tv mm-hmm. but i think there's too much of it and it i think it is a lot of it is junk food yeah. I think the conventions can be used really cleverly like they were with Victorian Farm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
or the Great British, British Baking Show is a great show. And that's a reality show, essentially a competition yeah. reality show. Those are shows where I've learned things where I feel like this is enriching me in some way. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of times it's just addictive and time wasting and kind of mm-hmm. sad. It leaves you kind of feeling sad sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So after Lelena runs off from Michael and the disaster of her documentary, she's back at home in her apartment. She's sitting there just like depressed and in walks Troy. And, you know, she's mourning her work, but Troy gets it where Michael didn't. Mm -hmm. So finally we're getting to the moment we've all been waiting for. Mm -hmm. So I don't remember what Lelena says to get where Troy's reaction though is to her. I love her. And he means Lelena. She breaks my heart again and again, but I love her. And then they kiss and the, and have this great passionate love scene. Yeah. Do you want to add anything before? Um, Just like, yeah, I, I, I thought it was really good too. I thought it was, I think I was like rooting for them more when I was younger though. Like I still, mm-hmm. I'm happy that they get together, mm-hmm. but like, I don't know. I don't feel their chemistry as much as I did when I was younger, and I'm not sure why. I think mm. I think part of it, and this is going to sound so silly, but I feel like Ethan Hawke's head is so much bigger than Winona Ryder's head. <laughs> it became very distracting to me. I'm like, oh my god, I don't think this is compatible. <laughs> That's hilarious. But then the next day, I mean, they have this great scene, and it's like, I've been waiting for this forever, and you know, it's been building up to this moment. And then the next morning, Troy is getting dressed. It's like eight in the morning. And she's like, hey, where are you going? And he's like, oh, I've got band practice. And she's like, right now? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And she's like, so that's it? You know, obviously he's running out. And he's like, no, no. And then he kisses her and he kind of freezes and then runs away. Oh, yeah. And she's like, and she has this whole history of him leaving these girls like all these one night stands he's had with these girls that's a whole history she has of him to go off of mm-hmm. so you know she doesn't have a lot of reason to trust him in a romantic situation unfortunately yep so after this we we see a scene where Lelena goes to find Troy at this like coffee house or wherever where he plays and he's playing this this is really Ethan Hawke singing and he's singing this song which I thought was kind of silly at the time and is even sillier now it's like, mm-hmm. got a pothead, mama got a cokehead dad. And it's like, I'm the ultra-modern version, the American man. Don't yep. feel good, don't feel bad. Uh, hey, I'm nothing. And I'm just like, what a pathetic song. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it's it's just so it's so emo and overly dramatic and shit. I'm just like, no. <laughs> yes, emo. Perfect. <laughs> emo before emos yeah emo before emo yeah (laughs) oh my god that song and this is like what troy's it's like he's feeling sorry for himself right and like that's not a good look when like lelaine is coming there to like try to figure out what happened right yeah and then Um, and then sammy and vicky are both like tell me it didn't happen they're like oh you shouldn't have slept with your friend and it's like they're like disappointed and they're like what I didn't I don't see. I didn't, I didn't really like that. I think they should have been supportive of her personally. I agree. I agree. I'm like what? Yeah. I thought they were rooting for that or whatever. I don't know. Or, or like at least like understand that your friend might be upset, right? 
Like, right. you know, anyway. Um, and then somehow, like, Michael also arrives on the scene before she's had a chance to talk to Troy because Troy's been, like, pulled aside, I think, by a phone call or something. Anyway, right. um, Troy does seem to want to talk to her. He does seem like he mm-hmm. wants to talk to her, but, like, before he can get there, Michael gets to her. How does Michael even know she was there? I don't know. Michael somehow knew she was at a coffee shop, too, and called her before. What's he doing, man? He's, like, spying on her. I know. Anyway, he shows up and he has these tickets to New York City and he says, like, we should go to New York and present your show the way you want it. And um, my I say right here that Lelena should have gone to New York with Michael, at least as on a professional way to get that mm. show done right. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I whether or not you want to date him, you should at least try to, like, make your show. That's my yeah. that's what I have to say. Mm. Yeah, I could also see at that age wanting to be like just done with that, like cut that off. And I don't know. Sure. At that age, when you think you're Mm going to get like endless opportunities to make a break, I totally get it. But like, I don't know. I feel like with Michael on her side, she could have gotten something done. So I'm kind of sad she didn't try. But here's something else. This is the coolest Michael has looked in the whole film. Oh, yeah. He's wearing like a leather jacket. He looks like a hip, cool, young guy. Finally. Mm -hmm. Not this like... I don't know, suit with all yeah. these suits, you know? <laughs> I think you can go to a nice restaurant not in a suit, you know, on their first date. <laughs> You're really like, hung up on this suit, aren't I you? I really am. It's like, yeah, he could have come in like, I don't know, it's just like some cashmere sweater. Like there was a there was another way to make him look like a professional, mm-hmm. yuppie-ish person without being in a suit the whole time. In this moment, you know, he looks put together and like cool i don't know that would have i think helped his <laughs> helped his argument help his side but lady's <laughs> in a big predicament like she's just slept with her best friend it doesn't like did she really break it off with michael i don't like, think she no- broke it off with michael definitively right. now yeah right so there was no definitive breakup and she's already like she, so she's got that going on and there's a lot going on and and then Troy walks in and finds her talking to Michael and starts being snarky and, and being like yep. are you going to tell him or should I like and right like, so she pulls she pulls Troy off to the other side and Troy is basically saying that he panicked and he's like he needs he starts saying a lot of co- contradictory things like he's like I don't know if now's the right time for us but then he's like you're the only woman that I could ever commit myself to and he also says I don't want to lose you and then he says, I've never had sex with somebody that I loved before. And that's a real mixed bag. But Lelena yeah. chooses to seize on only the negative things. I'm the kind of person who would only seize on the positive things. I'd be like, oh, he loves me? You know what I mean? Oh, wow. I'd be, like, okay. I'd be like, oh, you could commit to me? You don't want to uh-huh. lose me? I would be that person. I'd grab onto everything positive he said, but she grabs onto every negative she can get out of that. Like, I would totally uh, do that. I'm the negative. Oh really? <laughs> so you you just you'd be so you'd be like Lelena and you'd be like, oh, do I get a prize for being the only woman you could commit yourself to? Or like yep. she's also like, oh, it's a great thing to have sex with people you love. You can join the rest of us in the adult world. Right. Right. Not me. I would not do that. I'd be like, you love me? You love me? No. This is great. Let's get together. Let's work this out. <laughs> I kind of that's really nice, Jen. Like I kind of <laughs> like that. Like. Seeing the positive. It does have a downside though, because then you also find yourself gripping onto positives where there maybe aren't any. Like uh, you like try to spin things in the best possible light, like maybe with guys that aren't really giving you anything to work with. So yeah, there's a dark side to that too. 
And I don't blame Lelena for like reacting this way either because like she was really Absolutely. hurt when he left, Absolutely. you know, he was, and she's seen his other behavior. Yes. Yes. And he and leads like with, she says, I knew this was going to happen. I knew mm-hmm. this was going to happen. Oh, mm-hmm. like she's hurting. He's confused. Right. Oh, it's, it's a powder well, keg. I don't, do you know what the phone call is? It's about his dad dying. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. 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 So he's got that going on. I don't know how you take news like that without it affecting you. And yeah, he's got a lot going on in his own he's life. He's got a lot going yeah. on and he doesn't handle it well. You know, so Lelena like basically just leaves like Troy standing there, like having taken the worst message out of what he said. And then he goes up on stage and brilliantly decides that he's going to dedicate a very unromantic song to her i mean i think it's a kind of sexy song but it's certainly he does it very aggressively he's not trying mm-hmm. to like seduce her he does add right. it up by the violent femmes like why can't i get just one kiss why can't i get just one screw and then yeah. why can't i get just one fuck although the f fuck is edited out in the movie ah troy <laughs> they're both shooting themselves in the foot here yep so Lelena runs away from both troy and michael and troy and michael are then left out in the street to confront each other and um I don't remember all the lines they say to each other, but like Troy goes to Michael at one point, besides everyone dies all by himself. And then Michael says, if you really believe that, who are you looking for out here? Mm-hmm. I like how Michael calls, calls Troy on his shit, you know? Yep. He does this twice. He does it here. And he does it when he says, I think I know what she needs in a way that you never will. Both times you can see um, Ethan Hawks in Ethan Hawks acting that Troy is having a reaction to this, that he is like, mm-hmm that he is maybe learning something or seeing something because of Michael. And I like that. Yeah. Agreed. Because he comes off so high and mighty and Troy comes off so high and mighty. Yeah. And like, I, I, you know, I'm so smart and I quote shit. And, but when it comes down to like interpersonal relationships, he learns a thing or two from Michael. So man, it's a mixed bag. No one's one dimensional. I'd want to date. Co- I think I'd want to date both of them. Now that I'm, the more I think about it, I'd want to date both of them. I'd want to have a polyamorous relationship with Michael and Troy. I would. I'm like, I like things about Michael. Now watching this movie again, I'm like, I really respect Michael's like um, emotional availability, his communication mm-hmm. ability, and his willingness to try to fix things. But I wouldn't want. I would also not want to not be with Troy because I really respect his depth and his intellect and his talent. So I'm just like, mm-hmm. hmm, yeah. Anyway, sorry, that was an aside. <laughs> no worries. And here comes one of the best songs ever in this montage. Um, so now everybody's left the, you know, run out of the club. Cut to this montage where you two sings All I Want Is You. Troy is going home. Like, I don't know if we realize this, you don't know, but he's he's flying home. Um, you find out later to um Chicago. Because his dad has died. And then Lena doesn't know this. I thought his this. dad is dying, not died. I thought he's, oh, he's in dying. the process. Like he's in the hospital. Like I think his oh, dad okay. is dying. Don't you think? That makes sense. Because he he's in the airport and then he's in a hospital. Yeah. And Lena is looking for Troy. And she's, you know, running around to all their, like, their hangouts and whatnot. Uh, and then at one point, Troy calls Lena. But then hangs up on her. Ah. Yeah. Oh, back when you could do that, nobody would know it was you who called. Back before call right. ID. <laughs> and then 
she goes to that coffee shop that we've seen before where Sammy's sitting and she inter- interrupts whom he's with. We'll get to that in a second. Like, I need to find him. Do you know where, do you know where Troy is? Please tell me. Um, but Sammy introduces her to his friend, Lance. Yep. Sammy has a Lance. Blinking, you miss it, but but yeah. Yep. Very small, but you're like, oh, Sammy's out there. He's out there. Yeah. Yeah. Good for Sammy. Good for Sammy. I want to watch the sequel with Sammy, but it's a little too late for that, at least with Steve Zahn. And Steve Zahn would be a very important part of it. So love you, Steve Zahn. Love (laughs) you. Okay, so after all this montage, Lelena's found out where Troy is, and she's preparing to go and fly to him, to see him. While she's preparing for this, there's a cab that pulls up out front, and she runs out, and we find out instead that it's not her cab. Troy has shown up, so I'm going to play a clip of what Troy has to say for himself. Well, uh, my dad died. Oh, God, Troy, I'm sorry. No, it's... I'm so sorry. No, it... What happened was that, um... I kind of got this... arcane glimpse at the universe. And uh, the best thing that I can... I can say about that is... uh, I don't know. I... I have this, this planet of regret sitting on my shoulders. And you have no idea how much I wish that I could go back to that morning after we made love and do everything different. But I know that I can't, so I thought that I would come here and tell you something. And what I wanted to tell you was that I love you. And I just wanted to make sure that that was clear so that there wasn't any confusion. Um, So anyway, uh, where are you going? I'm just going to look for you. I just wanted to see if you were okay. Well, I had a shitty week. Ah, and they kiss again with Ethan Hawke's very big head and Winona Ryder's small head. <laughs> Sorry. Never been noticed or been distracted. <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize in advance if this causes you to be distracted by it in the future, but nope, it won't. It won't okay. be. <laughs> it won't be at all. Yeah. That's a really touching ending. I think that speech is. is so good and heartfelt. And Ethan Hawke is such a good actor. He's so good at delivering it. He is. He yeah. really is. Yeah. Yep. And I love the line where he just says, um, I have this planet of regret Regret. sitting on my shoulders. That's such a good line. Good writing. Hell yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. So after this, we see Troy and Lelena are in an apartment with boxes. It implies that 
they're moving out or moving in together, probably moving in together. Mm-hmm. Because we hear on the answering machine, there's a Troy's giving a message at the beep. Please leave your name, number, and a brief justification for the ontological necessity of modern man's existential dilemma. We'll get back to you. Okay. I actually don't know what ontological means, so Troy probably won't respect me now, but there you go. I appreciate that. If you don't know what it means, then I don't feel so badly knowing, like, you're really smart, so there you go. <laughs> well, I should I have looked it up, words. but there you go. I should have looked ontological up so I would know what it means. But anyway, Troy's Troy's answering mas- machine message has gone over my head completely, so there you are. I love it. But on the machine um, is Lelena's dad leaving a message asking about a $900 bill on my gas card. Oh, <laughs> that's a lot of money. That's yes. a lot of money now. Yes. I don't, imagine what that felt like in 94. Woo! And they just Woo. laugh. I mean, I'm sure her dad was good for it with like the, the new fancy cars for his wife and everything. But still. Yeah, and then after that, um, we get another Ben Stiller type of a move. This I feel like this must be his stuff, like his choice. Yes. Um, mm. You get a little clip of TV channels being changed. There's an Anthony Robbins inspirational ad. There's like one of those ads for that like spray that guys like spray in their hair to make it look like they have hair, but it's really just a colored thing. Yeah. And then there, it cuts to this like ripoff of Lelena's documentary, which is like a, a scripted show instead. And I guess Evan Dando from the, the band, the Lemonheads plays um, the character of Roy, who's a ripoff of Troy. Mm-hmm. And they're having this, like he and the fake Lelena are having this like breakup conversation or something that's like clearly inspired by real life. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so cheesy. And it really reminds me, like they did this later in the movie scream Two where they did like a fake scream movie with okay. like Tori Spelling and like, um, right. I think it was Luke Wilson and like totally, like I wonder if scream got it from this in a way, I think maybe multiple people were doing these kind of satirical like riffs, but it's mm-hmm. very similar in tone, like the way they did that one in scream too. So just want to say it saw it in reality bites first. Fantastic. So we've come to the end of the we've come to the end of the film. So we're going to ask some difficult questions here. Now maybe this one won't be so difficult, but if you had to choose now, like if you were Lelena and you had to choose now, would you choose to date Troy or Michael or perhaps neither? Now, neither. Because as you described before, they each had qualities that were good and qualities that weren't so hot, like where mm-hmm. one was strong, the other was kind of weak, blah, blah, I would wait for the whole package. All right. And I would cobble together the package out of both of them. No. Oh, yeah, you would <laughs> but, be dating the both of them. So you but, get, there but, you go. But I could be actually, waiting forever. <laughs> but actually, like, I think if I had to choose, though, if somebody said you have to choose just one, I hate to say it, but I would have chosen Troy when I was younger, and I would still choose Troy now. I okay. think it's a risky bet. But um, I really think like the soulfulness of Troy and the depth of his intellect and understanding of her art, that matters a lot, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it, it suggests that they share common values. And I'm just hoping that Troy could like mature in his communication skills, you know, and his ability to express his emotions. Since those are strong points that I have, I feel like I could convey them to Troy. But, you know, I might just end up getting my heart broken. You know, I think Michael's definitely the safe bet there. And now the other question, would you choose Troy from this movie or Jesse from Before Sunrise, Ethan Hawke's other Gen X heartthrob role? Jesse. Because I think he has some of that like 
depth and heart and feeling, but not that douchey, dicky, <laughs> <laughs> assholey kind of behavior. So, yeah, he's maybe Troy in a few years, maybe. No, I think Troy's always going to be like pretentious. Maybe, maybe not. I think Troy is pretentious as a defense mechanism because he has a hard time letting people in and being vulnerable. So I think he's already that way. Perfect. Yeah, I don't think. Okay, I would choose Troy. (laughs) And and, um, I think Ethan Hawke is hotter in this role. There's just something compelling about Troy that that I don't see in Jesse as much. Like, like Jesse is like smart, right? But Celine is smarter than him. And Troy Mm. seems like he would be intellectually, at least my equal or maybe even a little higher. Like, whereas, but I could contribute the emotions and the emotional intelligence. So I feel like it would be a real exchange, you know, like he could teach me different ideas and his, he has his artistry, but I could like, you know, help with the emotional side. I like that feeling of there's like an exchange, you know what I mean? With Jesse, I just feel like I would be kind of the mature one. And I think Celine is kind of the mature one with him, you know, Mm, mm. (laughs) not always, but like, also, we see how Jesse turns out when he's older. We see how Jesse turns out. Yeah. Which like, we don't want to talk too much about that because we don't want to spoil it. And Mm -hmm. like, there's some good things about how he turns out, but like, there's some things that I think are less than ideal too. I have have hope for Troy. But we're talking about Jesse before sunrise. And then before sunrise, I would go with him. But I have hope for Troy. I have hope that like once he like gets over the insecurity and accepts like being loved and like deals with some of his family trauma that he's going to be a real winner. I just I have hope for him. Maybe I just like helping people. I don't know. <laughs> so like one more thing we we cannot, you know, talk about this movie without talking about the soundtrack. This is one of the top soundtracks I think for any movie I've seen. What do you, what would you agree with that or Yeah, absolutely. And the soundtrack ended up doing really well. It sold 1.2 million units and it was number 13 on the Billboard 200. And we've talked about this person before. The music supervisor for the soundtrack was Karen Rachtman. And she also did the soundtrack for Clueless. So we mentioned her in our Clueless episode and served as the music supervisor also for Pulp Fiction and Boogie Nights Mm. and also the executive soundtrack producer for Moulin Rouge and Romeo and Juliet. She's fantastic. Look at that. Yeah, great. She does great work. So one of the big hits from the soundtrack was Lisa Loeb's Stay. And funny enough, that only got on the soundtrack because Lisa Loeb and Ethan Hawke knew each other and Ethan Hawke recommended the song. And Ethan Hawke ended up directing the video for Stay as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Lisa Loeb became the first unsigned artist with a number one single in history. That's awesome. Yeah, that is so awesome. So I wanted to know out of this great soundtrack, like so many cool songs, what would be like your top three songs from the soundtrack as of now? As of now, still All I Want Is You by you, uh, you 2 Yeah. Um, Stay and I love Spin the Bottle with Julianna Hatfield 3. And honorable mention to Tempted by Squeeze. So four. <laughs> Me too is Spin the Bottle. Spin the Bottle is like the one I love the best. And you almost don't hear it in the movie. It's like in a little scene where like Vicky's folding shirts at the Gap, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just such a cool song. Like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Yep. <laughs> it's a really stupid. I've been singing this around the house and my family's like, what? <laughs> I wish you could come over to my house and sing in my house. I would love it. Thanks. I, I appreciate it. that. I've got my I've got my girlfriends to sing with. It's true. Good. Many a friend to jam out with. Good, good. 
Yeah, I love the Juliana Hatfield song too. I think that's so good. I love Tempted by Squeeze. Um, I think it's like the scene where they're singing in the car. Like that's what I want to sing in the car. It's exactly the kind of song I want to sing in a car. So Mm -hmm. yeah. And then my my number three used to be like My Sharona by the Knack, but I think that has just been like way overplayed over like since that movie came out. And I just, I don't care about it that much anymore. So now I think... I didn't like the All I Want Is You by U2 when the movie came out. I was not a big U2 person. But now it really has stuck in my head and I really see the value in that song. I don't know mm-hmm. what it is about me that has changed that made me like that song now, but it like it gets me now. It's got emotion. Yeah. It's build yeah. up. Mm-hmm. And I also like the When You Come Back to Me song by World Party that's kind of playing over the opening montage where they're getting ready in the morning. But there's not really a loser on this soundtrack either, except maybe the weird I'm Nothing song. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have much use for that one. How about you? Do you like Ethan Hawke's vocal stylings there? Um, no, but I mean, I, I know the words though. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. can sing along. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even the worst song on the soundtrack, we know the words. So mm-hmm. there you go. And um, before we go into our double feature recommendations, I just wanted to say that like, I feel like this movie, like the the issues in it, the experiences in it are very kind of timeless. And I think younger people today would still relate to a lot of it. Somebody writing in Vice, Auntie Donahue said, these characters are flawed. They're forced to live up to unrealistic economic expectations. And they mirror our current professional landscape where the jobs our parents have don't necessarily exist anymore. And yeah, there's so much, there's so much about the economic situation, the the gap with their parents of understanding that I think younger people could relate to, even though these characters are still using pay phones, you know, <laughs> and right. calling psychic hotlines. But there's like, there's parallel experiences that I think are relatable. Yeah. So uh, why don't we do our double features? I'm excited to hear what you recommend, Jen. Why don't you go first? Okay, so um, my first double feature recommendation is Slacker from 1990. And I think because when I'm thinking about definitive Gen X movies, I'm thinking about Reality Bites and I'm thinking about Slacker. And Slacker Mm -hmm. to me is like sort of the indie experimental Mm -hmm. version of a Reality Bites showing the generation in action. Um, It's also set in Texas, whereas Reality Mm -hmm. Bites is in Houston. Slacker is in Austin, Um, of course, directed by Richard Linklater. And I just think they'd be a good pairing for that reason. The indie with the commercial, which is so funny because Reality Bites is commenting on, you know, art versus Mm -hmm. commerce. And Reality Bites is the commerce and Slacker is kind of the art. (laughs) So if you and, and also the other reason is like Slacker is purporting to be like, kind of like a slice of reality, like these little snippets of people's Mm. lives in real time. Of course, it's fictional, but it plays out as if it's Hmm. following real people around Austin, Texas. So we've already talked about how you and Zoe, neither of you have been able to sit through Slacker, but I rewatched it recently and still find it very enjoyable. So my second recommendation is Before Sunrise, um, which was came out in 1995. It's interesting because to me, it feels like it's an earlier 90s film. But then I mm. found out that Ethan Hawke had actually done Reality Bites first. And then he went on to be in Before Sunrise with Richard Linklater. So two Richard mm. Linklater films here, um, but this one with Ethan Hawke. And I just think that these are these these characters are very similar, but like as we mentioned, importantly different. Different enough that we have very strong opinions about which one we would rather date. So <laughs> but this is yeah, Ethan Hawke's other Gen X heartthrob role. 
playing Jesse in Before Sunrise. And it's just an essential viewing, I think, and not even just as a 90s film, but just as a film about relationships and love. And of course, we've covered that on the podcast. So if you're curious to hear a little more about it, please do listen to that episode. And my next recommendation is Dead Poets Society from 1989. And this is another Ethan Hawke performance. And this is more of an ensemble film. Ethan Hawke isn't really like the lead actor, but he's a member of the lead ensemble. He's playing such a different character in this, but I think he's playing such an interesting and sensitive character. And also just like, even though Dead Poets Society is an 80s movie that's set like in an earlier time, it does give me kind of a feeling of Gen X at the same time of rebellion and and of trying Mm -hmm. to be true to yourself. And I think it makes a good match with Reality Bites. And then finally, I just wanted to recommend another Winona Ryder movie, which I didn't recommend in the Heathers episode. I want to recommend her role as Joe in Little Women from 1994. So the reason reason I want to recommend these performances together is because in both movies, Lelena is an artist who's trying to stay true to her art and also dealing with romance. So yeah, they're set in completely different eras, obviously. Little Women is like a period film, an adaptation of that novel. Great movie to watch around Christmas, but I think Winona Ryder's performances are both very like inspiring performances of a woman artist, you know, trying mm. to find her way. So, two different I love interpretations. Yeah, I love, yeah. I love that version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Big it's favorite. for me, it's the version of my heart. Like the new one is good, but like Little Women, nineteen ninety four. That's when I feel the feelings. That's when I cry the tears and laugh the laughter the most. Yeah. So, um. You know, if you're interested to see where these iconic Gen X actors turn up, I recommend Juliet Naked from 2018, and that stars Ethan Hawke. It takes place in a small town in, I think, Ireland. The The Rose character is with this fellow who's obsessed with this musician named Tucker Crow, played by Ethan Hawke. I mean, like obsessed. He has a podcast about this band and this musician and yada, yada. And she, the the woman character, just is sick of it and can't stand it. And through a series of events, she actually meets this real musician. Her boyfriend finds out. And it's it's an interesting, cute love story. Not cute, but like a love story that I enjoy. And if I were to say it could maybe watch it and tell me what you think it could be what troy grows up to be <laughs> okay so got a touch of that in there um my next one uh stars winona Ryder and um keanu reeves which is a fun pairing uh in the film destination wedding from 2018 and they play people who meet on a small charter plane to a destination wedding they are guests at this wedding it's just fantastic. It's the two of them. They're the only people with dialogue um, and how their meeting as strangers evolves into something else. I loved it. And my other recommendation is from 1996. <laughs> Not recent or anything, but it's uh, Steve Zahn is in it. It's in That Thing You Do, which I love. This is one of our favorites in my house. Um mm-hmm written and directed by Tom Hanks about a band in the 60s and like how they make it. And Steve Zahn's character in it, he is hilarious. He's so funny. We quote this film a lot and a lot of them are his lines. So yeah. highly recommend. Have yeah, you seen it? It's a fun it? movie. Yeah, I've seen it numerous it. times. Yeah, I used to have the soundtrack to that. Yeah. I got the soundtrack. I love it. 
There you have it, friends. So yeah, so thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks for coming on again, Soph, and joining me with on this yeah. Gen X journey. <laughs> My pleasure. My pleasure. And stay tuned. In the coming weeks, we're going to be doing the 1994 independent lesbian rom-com, Go Fish, uh, followed by 1997's Chasing Amy. And you will learn, if you listen to both shows, you will learn of a surprising connection between these two movies, which at first seem somewhat dissimilar. And it is not just because they both have lesbian characters. There is more to the connection. So stay tuned for that. And you can always find the podcast at everyromcom.com. And please, if you have any feedback, send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And once again, everyone, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye.